Welcome everyone to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond livestream. I am your host, Jeff Freeman. And today we have the recording from the livestream show done on our YouTube channel, JFree906, with special guest, Alessandra Nadavari. Now, Alessandra, as you may well know, owns property up in New Ross, which many have called the New Ross Castle. She also has a lot of information about the Knights Templar and their possible arrival on Oak Island. So, please sit back and enjoy this recording with Alessandra Nadavari, Part 1. Hi, Jeff and Jack. How are you? Alessandra, I wanted to start out with um, a little bit of your background, if we could. Um, and you are originally from Slovakia, is that correct? Yes, I was born in Czechoslovakia, actually. The older generation might remember that name. Mm -hmm. So it was a communist country at the time, and um, I, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain, so oh, to wow. speak. So uh, we were not allowed to travel without a permission, and uh, certainly not to the Western countries. So wow. I never dreamed as a child that I would come to North America, let alone that I would end up here in Nova Scotia and mm -hmm. become part of the Oak Island mystery. Oh, absolutely. And that's really fascinating. Now you came over, I said in your, I was reading your bio um, and it talked about you coming over on a, on a ship called the blue, the blue nose too. Was that what it was? Okay. So um, the way that happened was my husband, Tim is American and okay. uh, we, we met um, in my homeland and then um, we ended up, you know, as a romantic couple. <laughs> uh, now, he brought me over to the United States. We lived mm -hmm. there for a couple of years. And then we decided to travel a little bit. So he showed me quite uh -huh. a few um, states of, of in the United States. I didn't visit every single state. But mm -hmm. he showed me the stuff that he thought I would be interested in. Right. And um, he then said, let's go to Canada. Well, he likes sailing. Mm -hmm. That's his hobby. And he he was deciding between British Columbia and Nova Scotia. And the reason why Nova Scotia prevailed was because Nova Scotia was home to the world's fastest fishing schooner called oh, really? Bluenose. Yeah, ah, it actually okay. it actually won several races back in the day. Wow. It was a whaling schooner. So um the, the sailors on that schooner, they mm -hmm. um they would take it to hunt whales and then bring all those stuff back home so it right. was a working schooner not just for races <laughs> but it happened to be really fast and it became famous and then um, nova scotia kind of adopted it as its um as its uh, symbol so it's even on uh one of the coins the 10 cents. oh really wow um, i had no idea yeah oh. so you will see blue nose and uh, we we still have blue nose but it's a replica so we call it the blue nose too Ah, okay. All right. And Tim said, I have to get on board of that scooter and uh, try it out. So so we came to Lunenburg. That's um, a town on the south shore of Nova Scotia. And mm -hmm. we sailed on the Blue Nose. Then we rented a little um, little cottage outside of Lunenburg. <laughs> we stayed there for six months. And uh, then one thing led to another. And we ended up immigrating to Nova Scotia eventually. Right. And, um, in that uh, place, in, in the uh, cottage that we rented, there was a book called The Holy Grail Across the Atlantic by oh, Michael really? Bradley. And I read it like three times. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, was, uh, I was enthralled. I was like, yep. 
the Holy Grail is in Nova Scotia. Well, I have to find it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be the one to find it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and that's that's how I got introduced to the mystery on Oak Island and um, you know the money pit, the mm -hmm. treasure hunt, and all of that. And that's where I also read about New Ross. And I I went to Tim and I'm like, um, get in the truck. We're driving to to New Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I heard of, you know the the book mentions there's a there's a castle in Uras, and I was like, if there's a medieval castle in Nova Scotia, I have to see it and I have to look at it with my European eyes, because of my homeland. I was has... going to say you've seen many over over there yeah. when you yeah. were overseas. So yeah. so I'll just say that um, after a while, Czechoslovakia split up. So it became Czech Republic and Slovak Republic. So I'm from mm -hmm. Slovak Republic. I'm from the Eastern part. And Slovakia has over 200 castles and fellows wow. and fortresses. So I used to visit them as a child um, on you know field trips with my classmates, teachers, but also my parents, my, my uh, older brother. Mm -hmm. And so I have... I kind of have that in my mind, what a castle should look like. Mm -hmm. And I thought that if there is one in New Ross, I will recognize <laughs> whether that's a castle or not. Yep. Well, imagine uh, uh, my feelings when we came to New Ross. We stopped at the service station and also the grocery store in town. And we asked the local citizens, uh, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> can you please? Point me in the direction. <laughs> well, we got some strange looks. I, I was going to say they're that. probably like castle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. and I said, but it's here in this book. Look, this is, <laughs> this chapter talks about a castle in your house. I must see it. And nobody knew what I was talking about. They probably thought I was totally crazy. And so I went home. I was like my head down. I was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed, but. I kept at it and I thought, it feels like there's, you know, more to the story. So right. I, yeah, I yeah. thought I should um, start reading, but maybe some mm -hmm. um, other types of books. So I ended up buying a, a lot of history books about Nova Scotia. Of course, you know, um, mm -hmm. Oak Island. I think the first book on Oak Island that I owned was, um, um, which one was it? Was it one of the ones you, you sent Oak me some pictures? Was it? Uh, pardon me. Yeah, I think Oak Island Gold or something like that. Uh -huh. I I don't have it on on my desk here right now. Sorry about that. <laughs> but it was it was really good, and it presented all these different theories. And I mm. started thinking about the theories and discussing them with my husband, and then he gave me you know his take on things, and and um, um, one thing led to another, and eventually we found out where the castle is in Uros. <laughs> um, at that time, the the property was actually for sale. And, oh, really? Yes. And, and the realtor thought that if she added a little blurb about, you know, a castle, <laughs> that... Uh, would help to sell, would, yeah. Would, yeah, they yeah, should be able to, to sell it. So, <laughs> and for us, it was an opportunity to actually get the address of the castle. So... So we called her. We said, "Can you give us a tour of of uh, of you know the castle?" And, <laughs> and she said, "Sure." So she she gave us the tour. She was mostly you know trying to uh, show us the house, but I kept mm -hmm. looking through the window. I was like, "No, yeah, I want to go in the backyard." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, unfortunately, at that time, um, 
there was not much to see. And even mm -hmm. if you go there today, there is still not much to see there. But we decided to to, to buy it mm -hmm. because we thought if this property does hold some clues to a major mystery, we want to be the ones that um, guard it. It was yep. in a bad bad shape. Was um, it really? And wow. it needed a lot of repairs, especially the house. And we thought that it would be good if it were owned by somebody who cared about it. Exactly. Who's not just going to, let's say, you know, dig up the backyard and put a garage there or, mm -hmm. you know, a concrete pad or <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. something like that. So we are yep. still respectful of, of the mystery and um, open-minded. Um, mm -hmm. Duras is a little bit like Oak Island in that there's a lot of folklore, a lot of legends, a few mm -hmm. artifacts and a contaminated archaeological site. So yeah, yeah. from archaeological point of view, it's contaminated because it mm -hmm. has been dug up so many times, right? Right, exactly. So it's nice yeah. that you're preserving a site, though, that otherwise would be would be gone. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, because um, this property is right in town. And if you just take the highway that leads through the town, and look at it from the side of the road, nothing about this property suggests that it's special in any way. It literally is just a house with a backyard, stone well, and at that time there was a, a stone, a standing stone that was sticking out of the ground. Um, and, and and that's it. So right. you know, there's there's no sign, castle ruins or anything like <laughs> Castles that. Castles over here, yeah. yeah right out front, nice big stone marker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now the property was before you bought it. Was it you? You had mentioned that it was owned by was Joan Harris. Was that who it was? Well, before we bought it, it was owned by uh, Brett Brown, and yeah. before him, it was owned by a few other people so so we changed hands it goes uh, back a little ways yeah quite, quite a lot of times <laughs> but uh um joan harris whom you have just mentioned she lived there from i think 1972 till 1994 so about 20 years mm -hmm. she came there from ontario she was the wife of a teacher her husband ron um taught at the local high school i believe mm -hmm. And yep. so for 20 years, the two of them lived in the town of Duras. Now they rented this place and then they bought it, eventually became theirs. And I think they're responsible for some of the house construction or at least the renovations. And um, she, I think, um, had an eye <laughs> for patterns or shapes. Mm -hmm. And she noticed the, the outlines of this really strange foundation in the backyard. Um, there, there's one book that says, that she saw the outlines of the foundation in the backyard, in what's now in what is now uh, the backyard, um, that she saw the outline in the snow. So as snow covered the right. place, this was sticking out, and it right. fascinated her, and she wondered what that was. And another source says that she found the foundation when um, she was putting in a garden. So she was probably digging, you know. Now that's the one I had heard about the garden. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, it's no longer alive. We can't ask her how how it really was. <laughs> right. Exactly. Wow. So, but I mean, and and at that point, did she take it any further? I mean, she saw this outline, and then I guess the stone was the stone that we've talked about that 
you know, up, certainly appears like it had some sort of a carving or cross on it. Was that there standing up at the time or did they find that somewhere else? I think what drove her was um, sheer curiosity mm -hmm. and she decided to re remove, I think, one meter of the topsoil, so about three feet, is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, yep. yeah, I'm European, so I'm on the metric system. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be about three feet, yeah. I, I never quite got used to uh, inches and feet. And my husband said, well, just look at it in terms of a Subway sandwich. Half of a Subway sandwich is called a six inch. And, and, and the whole sandwich is a foot long. Oh, sandwich. that's hilarious. Oh. So I measure things in Subway sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That, so, yeah, about three Subway sandwiches. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it'd be. Now, I don't think she went that deep right off the bat. I think she just removed a little bit of soil and a little mm. more and a little more. And she saw that the foundation continued underground. So right. um, in the photos, it looks like, you know, it's just one layer of stones. But I think it, it goes goes deeper than that. And she went as deep as the law allowed it at the time. Right. Okay. And um, once it became clear that it's a more extensive structure than just one wall, uh, she started asking the local people, can you explain these walls to me? What happened here? Mm -hmm. And they didn't know. So um, officially, uh, New Ross got founded in 1816. And it was a project by the government of Nova Scotia at the time. Um, they wanted to, to I guess, um, start new communities, not just along the coastline, but also inland. Inland, right. New, yeah. New Ross is... is like smack in the middle of Nova Scotia, it's inland. And they sent um, Captain William Ross mm -hmm. and 100 and let's see, I've got that here, 172 soldiers. They were uh, these bandit soldiers after the War of 1812 who needed a new start in life. Right. So mm -hmm. they had the option to return home. A lot of them were from, from Europe. Um, Captain William Ross himself was an Irishman. He was from Cork. Ireland. He was the son of a clockmaker. And uh, he was from a wealthy family, but he signed up for the military service, ended up in Canada <laughs> fighting in this war of 1812. Wow. He was stationed in Quebec. But after that war ended, uh, he had a choice. Do I return home to Ireland or do I stay in Canada? And he was married. He already had children at the time. And so he thought that um, he, he should stay. And the government offered him this grant of land if he oh. could farm it and establish a community there mm -hmm. and turn it into a prosperous town. And so he took that on and it was a huge job. And it, it actually imagine. ended up costing him his life. He, he oh, only really? lived in New Ross for about five or six years. And then oh, wow. um, he ended up traveling to Halifax. He wanted to see the governor um, because the governor uh, first promised the soldiers, uh, Captain William Ross and 172 soldiers, he promised them uh, land grants, which they got. They even got tools and like sacks of potatoes, seed potatoes, um, <laughs> but no plow. The, the um, governor would not fund a plow <laughs> that you can use to, to till the soil. So they had to do, yeah, it by do it everything hand. by hand. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. That'd be hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Captain Ross requested a plow and his request was denied that it was too expensive. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah too expensive. So <laughs> Sorry, you can't have a plow. Here you can have this old rickety shovel. Yeah, go out there and yeah. Oh my god. Now gosh. Um, and a sack of potatoes. 
Right. So, <laughs> so these soldiers, you know, they, they come to the interior of Nova Scotia uh, mm -hmm. with good intentions and they want to start this community. But mm -hmm. all they saw was a forest and they had to, you know, cut down trees and build cabins and clear enough. Right. land for for some gardens and eventually fields and it was just ton of work and a lot right. of them they decided it's too hard and they left after two years so they lasted two years in the wilderness and uh, the reason why they only lasted two years and, and not let's say three or four or five was because after two years the government no longer gave them free rum <laughs> <laughs> So they up to that point they were getting free rum. That's they were getting cool. they were getting free rum and uh, these uh, biscuits like some special army biscuits and you know tools <laughs> and other supplies <laughs> and um, the rum it had it was in these caskets and they had to carry it on their shoulders from I think the town of Chester which had a port so right uh, wow. so had to carry that rum on their shoulders and go on foot from Chester all the way to Naras through through the forest and marshes and like it was horrible horrible you gotta track. really you gotta really love your rum to go <laughs> through all that, that rum. <laughs> so, so after That's two fantastic. years the government said enough no more rum and then the soldiers they said well um well no so, <laughs> so <laughs> Two thirds of them. So thirds of them left and moved back to Halifax, and mm -hmm. uh, Captain William Ross stayed along with the you know more hardy uh, settlers, and um, he died about five or six years later. Um, I think he got pneumonia, and the way that oh, happened wow. was uh, the governor promised that there would be a road built between Halifax and through Hammond's Plains, which is west of Halifax. And then, you know, pass by New Ross and hopefully continue all the way west to Yarmouth. So they promised to build this road, mm -hmm. but didn't deliver on their promises. And so Captain Ross, he traveled to Halifax. I think um, he, he must have been on horseback and he had a Mi'kmaq guide with him. So the Mi'kmaq are the indigenous people of uh, Nova Scotia. And um, they were caught in a storm. And... Oh, wow. um, they spent like two nights in the forest, in the cold. And Captain Ross, I think, already had a cold at the time. Mm -hmm. And he just developed, uh, he developed pneumonia and he died. There was a doctor in Chester, but I think uh, they got him to a doctor too late. Wow. And his wife, Mary, she, was, she became a widow at a very young age. And I think by then she had five children. And um, this farm and no, no husband and no military pension, right? Because he, he was receiving pension. So believe it or not, she uh, stayed there, kept the farm going, raised the children on her own. She did not remarry. And she lived to be about 80 years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. There's a, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's fantastic history. Because yes. like you said, and they were going to bring a road through there. So with them mm -hmm. being having to travel... You know, even that little, you know, you look at it now and it's not that far. You can drive to Halifax and, you know, what, how, how long does it take to drive to Halifax today? Ah, maybe an hour. Yeah. And back yeah. then, though, without, especially without a road, can you imagine how long that would take? That trip would take quite a while. <laughs> and going through, you're going through the, the woods and the, the swamps because we know there's Swamp. a lot of swamps there. Um, you'd have to know your way around those swamps, too. That's going to be, you can't just go, probably can't cut straight across because of the swamps you no. got to figure your way through all that 
Um, no, wow, and well, I, th I think one time the general, oh, sorry, the uh, governor of Nova Scotia wanted to visit Murat. He wanted to see how the project was was coming along, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was his secretary who uh, sent a letter to Captain William Ross and said, well, you know, the governor is coming, so make it look nice, clear more <laughs> land, show some progress. <laughs> And um, so, you know, I don't know how they could have made it nicer than, you know, without exactly. tools. Wow. wow. Yeah, we don't have a plow. <laughs> we have a, more oh land. That's amazing <laughs> yeah. without a plow. Oh, yeah. And this, uh, so the, the trip actually happened. The visit happened and um, the governor came, but he too had to travel on horseback. And he got stuck uh, in, in the marshes, in the swamp. Oh, wow. so, so even he thought that that road was absolutely necessary but it, oh, yeah. it took a few more years before they they got started on it and the initial budget for the road was 600 pounds can you imagine 600 pounds 600 wow. pounds yeah yeah and this was about what time what about what time was this what year uh so so he came there in 1816 and let's say he lived five or six years so he would have died in I, i'd say 1821 okay. okay all right yeah wow yeah now uh he was determined and he did an awesome job if th th that farm by the way that belonged to him it's still there and it became oh, it really? so it stayed in the ross family and mm -hmm. um eventually i think it was in the 1970s the last owners of that farm the last heirs um they decided to transfer it transfer the ownership of it to the government to, to to the province of nova scotia because they couldn't look after it anymore that was the time when agriculture was becoming more um mechanized you know mm -hmm. more yep. more machinery and this right. family maybe didn't have the budget or or the desire to go that way anymore so uh the the farm mm -hmm still kind of in the old shape right which was which was great for a museum so so right. the last owner of of um of ross farm uh, said let's set up this beautiful museum so now it's a farm museum so it's called the ross farm museum and that's where carmen leg works yeah i was just gonna yeah, say we were just talking to carmen about that last week yes, yeah yes that's very cool. And I wondered what that connection might be. I, I you know, yeah. being Ross, you yeah. know, new Ross. And I, I wondered if that connection, that's fantastic. And he didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah. So that's he, really he works at, uh, at the Ross farm museum mm -hmm. and uh, I believe it's um, called the, uh, like a living farm mm -hmm. museum. Yep. So, there so you go. go there and all of the employees at the museum are dressed in the historical garb. Mm -hmm. So they wear these linen shirts and you know mm -hmm. um, costumes, but they're not like movie costumes. They <laughs> they, they look like the clothes that you could expect to see back in the day in the 1800s or early 1900s. And they show you all the trades, so you you um, get to see the blacksmithing. They they show you how they make uh, barrels. So there's the Cooper's uh, mm -hmm. shop uh, workshop. <clears throat> um, there's uh, there's a kitchen. My son is very fond of the gingerbread cookies that they make there. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got a I've actually got draft. a picture. Yeah, there's a picture of uh, there Carmen there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They have draft horses. They uh, they have oxen. The children love the horse ride because they can ride um, on the wagon that's mm -hmm. uh, drawn by the horses. I still remember the names of the horses. I think it's uh, King and Kate. 
Oh wow, that's oh. <laughs> that's really neat. And and the, we, I was telling when I when we had Carmen on, I was telling them about the fact that my mom did the same thing. She started a heritage society up in northern Michigan, up in the UP, and she was she was a wool spinner. So they would do a thing where they called it sheep to shawl, and they would actually shear a sheep and then work the wool all the way through to actually knitting a shawl with it. Um, and they did that, and and they they performed. They had she would dress up in the period clothing and do the same mm -hmm. kind of thing up in Michigan. But that's fascinating that I didn't, I knew that because of the name Ross, you, you would think, okay, there has to be some kind of connection, but I'm glad you were able to explain that because I had no idea, you know, exactly how that worked together. So Ross Farm Museum was the actual farm where yes. he was. Captain at, okay. William Ross lives. Right. Yes. And, and he, 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 he built, it. <clears throat> you know, he built the, the first cottage. I believe it was called the Rose Bank Cottage. Mm -hmm. Original and uh, it's, it's still there. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. That is really neat. Now, um, Go ahead. I, I want to say that um, the, the community got started in 1816, and um, the first blacksmith arrived in 1817, and his, his name was Daniel McKay. And it is believed that he actually resided on our property. Uh, so, so our property used to um, belong to him, to the first mm -hmm. blacksmith, Daniel McKay, and some of the artifacts that Joan Harris found in the 70s and, and 80s, uh, they look like they could have belonged to a blacksmith. Blacksmith, wow. Blacksmith tools and things like that and everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. So, you know, going back a little bit, you know, we, we, you and I had talked um, just the other day, we were discussing a few things. And one of the, the things that we talked about was going back to early Nova Scotia, um, like back to the time when the, the Norse, you, you had mentioned that the Norse had been there somewhere between 1000 and 1350 AD, something like that. Is that where you were? Mm. Well, um, I'll, I'll bring Joan Harris into this again. Okay. She, she thought that the way the the old foundation was laid out and some of the artifacts that she found her first she started kind of uh, formulating her own theories about the mm -hmm. place she was yeah, you would too was yep. not satisfied with <clears throat> conventional explanations so she uh, came up with uh, this theory that that place was the legendary norumbega norumbega appears on the first maps of um, north america and maybe specifically canada and it's shown kind of around maine but some people think it was not in maine but that it was somewhere in nova scotia and a lot of people keep hoping that uh it will be found and on these maps it's shown as like a like a small fortress maybe mm -hmm. like a local fortified town um or maybe like a like a tower but there is a structure in, and it kind of looks tower-like. So hmm. Norumbega would have been a Norse settlement. And um, I also want to explain that we, we know with certainty that um, the Norse came to North America. And a lot of people say, well, why do you call them the Norse? Just say Vikings. <laughs> I have hmm. been uh, corrected by friends who are from Scandinavia. Uh, that Vikings were called Vikings only up until they um, converted to Christianity. Once they um, became Christians, they were no longer Vikings. They they were not, you know, pagans or barbarians anymore. So, 
So uh, now that now they were civilized. So right, yeah, civilized. <laughs> so <laughs> so sadly, Vikings became Norsemen, and uh, Vikings and Norsemen are basically the same people. Mm -hmm. right. But the distinction is pre-Christian and Christian era. Wow. The um, the Norsemen who sailed to North America around the year 1000, so this this would have been uh, Leif Erikson and his people, mm -hmm. they were already Christianized. So so when he arrived, he himself was already baptized. He was a Christian. Mm -hmm. And um, they stayed here, and we know that ships came, North ships traveled between North America, Greenland, and Iceland for... Right like some 350 years and we know that the last ship that uh, returned from north america uh to iceland it was actually headed to greenland but i think a storm blew it to iceland so oh. we landed in iceland and mm. uh it was on record because it uh carried lumber from from canada and it mm. was taxed by the king of norway so so we have these tax records and it happened in uh i think 1347 so mm -hmm. the last known ship that came from North America to Iceland came kind okay. of in the middle in the middle of, of the 14th century. So they had 350 years to explore North America, right? 1347. And, and and they they um yes, I think it was 1347. And uh, strangely enough, this date appears inside uh, the Royston Caves in uh in, in England, that's the oh. Templar complex, and Gretchen Cornwall will be able to tell you all about that next time you talk to her. Now, I don't know that the ship that came to Iceland has anything to do with the Royce. <laughs> 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 but the 1347. So, so, um, so while we're talking about uh, these Norse voyages, Mm -hmm. They had 350 years to explore North America. There's no way that they would have only stayed in that one place in right. Newfoundland called Lansdale Meadows. And even exactly. the archaeologists who um, who excavated that place, the Ingstads, they they too admitted that that it was only inhabited for a couple of years, and that it was probably just temporary, and that there mm -hmm. must have been another somewhere farther south in a warmer right. climate. Mm -hmm. So, uh, did Norsemen? Uh, visit Nova Scotia during those 350 years it's possible of uh, the Mi'kmaq people of uh, Cape Breton uh, which is the northeastern part of Nova Scotia it kind of sticks out mm -hmm. um, they actually have oral tradition that describes a visit by what sounds like European sailors uh, mm -hmm. travelers um, and they were described as either redheaded or blonde. I, I, I don't remember uh, right now, but it was um, a Mi'kmaq historian, uh, Mordina Marshall, who mentioned that. She actually said that uh, for a newspaper article. So, uh, and she was an academic historian uh, with university degree, like highly educated, smart woman. Right. And so if she says that they were visited in pre-colonial era <laughs> in Cape Breton by European uh, sounding <laughs> or looking visitors, I believe. It. And mm -hmm. sadly, we, we don't know if they came from, you know, Greenland or Iceland or if they were Irish monks. Right. Right. Um, so I think that there is a possibility that Norsemen explored Nova Scotia, whether or not they decided to set up some kind of a little farm in the New Ross area, we'll never know. Right. Um, I, I kind of doubt it, though, because 
they would have wanted to stay close to the shore. And uh, this site is nowhere to be seen <laughs> from 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 the coastline. Like you can't right. you can't see Uros from the coast. Yeah, you're so 20, it would, 25 miles or so. Yeah, like it would it would not uh, be suitable. The only place to reach Nuras um, in those days would have been to follow the Gold River and just follow it upstream, and then so, you. you know, that's up, another fascinating thing. Yeah, talking then about you end up in Nuras. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you said, because I remember you were, you and I were discussing about the Gold River, and you know, obviously they called it the Gold River because people were actually panning for gold and, and finding gold. gold there at one time. Yeah, um, and that started probably back. Maybe that would have. Do you think that would have been a draw for some people that the word would have gotten back over across the ocean uh, to maybe draw people to that area for that? I I think so. Um, it's possible. I think that there was even a brief. Um, gold rush <laughs> mm. uh, around the Gold River in the 1800s. It didn't last very long. And I don't think that Gold River yielded that, that much gold, but um, you can still go gold panning there and pick up some gold dust. I have a friend who organizes gold panning expeditions. Really? That's funny. <laughs> yeah, expeditions. He, yeah, he sells the equipment too. So um, I'll, I'll add one more thing to the topic of um, the Norse exploration. So one, mm -hmm. they had 350 years to explore. That right. would have given them time to come to Nova Scotia, or at least uh, the Cape present part of it. Mm -hmm. And two, um, they, they were Christians, like I said, and they mm -hmm. even brought a bishop with them. Really? This, yes. This happened in the year 1121. Uh, so in the 12th century, a Catholic bishop, he was the Bishop of Greenland. His name was Eric Gnupsen. He was brought over to North America to probably spread Christianity or to make sure that, um, you know, these ex-Vikings <laughs> didn't go back <laughs> to their Viking ways. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know which part of North America he visited, but he came and I think he stayed here for, for two or three years. I think there's no record of him for, for, right. for a while and he probably resurfaced later. Mm -hmm. But so as early as 1121, a member of the Catholic clergy traveled to the continent of North America. So, so the Catholic church, I think would have known about it, even if mm -hmm. it was just from him, even if he like came back, right. wrote a letter or, you know, a report, Send it to his archbishop, who probably lived in Norway, because Greenland belonged to Norway for a while. So I feel like if he wrote a report about North America, um, and that report traveled up the, you know, chain of command within mm -hmm. the Catholic Church, eventually it might have even reached the Pope. But that's just a speculation on yeah. on my side. But it does make sense, though, absolutely. And this was in 1121. So <clears throat> so the 12th mm -hmm. century yep. and um, uh, later there was a man from Orkney named uh, Thornfin Carlsefni who um, sailed to North America and he resided here for a while. His son Snorri was reportedly Snorri. the first, Snorri was uh, reportedly <laughs> the first uh, child, the first Norse child born in North really? America. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, so Thornfin and his wife Gudrid later returned from North America and they mm -hmm. settled in Iceland. So he didn't go back to Orkney. So they settled in Iceland. But mm -hmm. check this out. He and his wife made a pilgrimage to Rome. Oh, really? 
And again, okay. I connected to the Catholic Church. And who lives in Rome? Well, the yeah, Pope. yeah, exactly. So there's yeah. another possibility of a connection mm -hmm. there. You know, getting the word back. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's. I think it's pretty obvious. You know, in my mind, anyway. And I'm not an academic on this, but it's pretty obvious that, you know, that that the word of Nova Scotia and North America definitely went back. I mean, there's no, you can't look at it. I don't see how you couldn't connect it up right way. Yeah. Quite honestly. Well, and if we are talking about um, Rome and, and the Pope, well, mm -hmm. who was the, um, the who Templar. provided the <laughs> who provided <laughs> security services to the Pope? Well, mm -hmm. it was the Knights Templar. The Knights exactly. Templar were, were the first bodyguards yeah. of um, of the Popes of that era. Now they have the so-called Swiss Guard, but before that, it was the Templar. So. Right. Um, you know, I, I write fiction, so it's easy for me to imagine um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, um, one of the popes received the report from uh, mm -hmm. Bishop Eric <laughs> after right. 1121, and he read it in his study, and the nice Templar were maybe looking over his shoulder, seeing what, what well, the yeah. wow, or maybe the pope yeah. reading the report, and he turns over to them, and he goes, are you up for this challenge? Do you want to go to North America? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they would do it to expand their influence around the world. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yep, so, as well. so I think that just in the realm of um, possibilities or, you know, speculation, harmless speculation, it is possible that um, some of the, at least one or more popes in Rome, they knew about North America. Yep. Uh, thanks to the Norse connection and mm -hmm. that they could have tasked the Nice Templar to go there um, with some goal, maybe to, uh, you know, secure it, claim it for, right. Explore it. for uh, Christendom or um, maybe secure some new sources of gold and silver, you know, mm -hmm. that that was always needed in Europe. And the south shore of Nova Scotia would, would have been suitable for this because um, there's the Gold River. We have, uh, or we had gold mines in uh, on Hammond's Plains. So that's an area outside of Halifax. Then I think north of Dartmouth, um, there's there were mines called Rodden Mines. Mm -hmm. And then west of, uh, of Oak Island, there's Lunenburg, and outside of Lunenburg um, is a park called the Ovens. There was a gold rush at the Ovens. There was even, I think, a little book written about it. Mm -hmm. So, so we know that Nova Scotia has gold deposits, and uh, they they were um, easily or you know somewhat readily accessible from from the surface and, and from the coast. Right. So that so gold would have been. And definitely a draw sure. oh absolutely yeah, draw. definitely would right. have been a draw for people to come over yeah exactly because they were constantly looking for that because that was a source of you know uh wealth you know through the gold mm -hmm. and, and and there was quite a bit of, of speculation made about oak island you know whether or not you know some of the tunneling that was done on there was looking for gold mines mm -hmm. you know we don't know for a fact i mean there you know you talk to you know doug and and some of the charles and some of them uh, and they were saying there's no, actually no record, I guess, of of looking for gold on Oak Island, but the Gold River being so close. And I think the Gold River, I think you and I, had, I had asked you about this before, but does not the Gold River dump out into Mahone Bay or right in that general area? Yes. So um, makes so sense the, that it would be in that area. 
Yeah, so in that book uh, that I mentioned before, Holy mm. Grail Across the Atlantic by Michael Bradley, he says in, in the book that um, uh, the word for oak in a mm. Celtic tongue um, also means door and to the right. If, if I'm remembering it correctly, it means door, but also right, like the, the right side or right hand. And so if you're on Oak Island and you travel, you, you take the right direction, you end up at the mouth of, um, of Gold River. And if you right. follow it <laughs> upstream, <laughs> uh, you have outside of Nura. So to Michael Bradley, that all made sense that, mm -hmm. you know, Oak Island and Nura are connected to be at the Gold River. Right. And this is the book you were talking yes. about right yeah. here. It's yeah. actually a, a good book. I don't know if it's uh, out of print or not, but you can probably buy some used copies. And he also has a website. So just uh, look up Michael Bradley. Mm -hmm. He did some more research um, in um, Quebec and Ontario, I think. And he found some interesting or found out about some interesting artifacts found uh, in the lake uh, called Memphremagog. Okay. A strange yeah. name. So I think yeah, he... Did some research about Lakes uh, Champlain and Memphremagog. And there were some interesting artifacts found there, like an iron spear, what looks like a, a gargoyle, which is um, really uh, a stone statue mm -hmm. that would yeah, have been true. attached to, let's say, I love gargoyle statues. The, rooftop, really the rooftops on, <laughs> yeah. on Gothic cathedrals. Yeah, on the corners so, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so, so it's this ugly looking stone head. What was it doing in the lake? Like who uses gargoyles right. nowadays? Yeah. Right? <laughs> and this was yeah. a lake. What was the name of the lake again? I think it, I think the gargoyle was found in Lake Memphremagog. You have to look it oh up on, on, oh, on uh, gotta, Google Maps or that Google down. Earth. But just visit, just visit his website. Look up Michael Bradley and so okay. that, that photo of that gargoyle head is, is there. I showed it to Sean Williamson. I said, Sean, is this a gargoyle? You know, you know, Gothic cathedrals. And, yeah, and, he would know. He would yeah, know. And, uh, he, he told me that, well, I thought it was a camel. And he said, no, it's a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, okay. Well, at least it's a dragon. I mean, still. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, the right, that's the right person to ask, though. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. So wow. I, I told my husband, I said, look, there's a gargoyle that was found in, in a lake in Canada. And he's like, well, why would, like, who would that, who would have, you know, carved yeah. it and, and, and put it there? And then I said, well, maybe it was an emotional support gargoyle that Mason <laughs> brought with him from Europe. <laughs> yeah, he had to bring it with him to give, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Favorite, oh, that's right. Favorite gargoyle. Couldn't leave it behind at home. Oh, uh, yeah. I love gargoyles. I keep talking about having a couple on my property right at the entrance <laughs> where you drive in my driveway and have them out there on the entrance. I've always yeah. wanted to do that. Yeah. Now, uh, south south of one of these lakes, and I believe it was uh, south of Lake Champlain. Mm -hmm. I know that it was found in Vermont. So south of one of these two lakes, um, there was ch chainmail shirt found, and it was oh, really? uh, found in yes, it was found in the 1800s by a farmer in Vermont, and he found uh, it wrapped in uh, the roots of a tree, very much really? like the was found in Minnesota. It was under a tree a tree you know grew around it or through it and he reported the find and uh it was talked wow. about um by the, it was discussed by i believe the british archaeological um, association or something mm -hmm. like that at the time in the 1800s it was mentioned in the journal of the british archaeological wow. association and i have 
never been able to found a picture or you know like a drawing of the chainmail shirt but they described it as being very fine and probably you know expensive mm -hmm. and oriental design so oriental design i don't know what that means of oriental design yeah because there's no record of anybody from the orient coming over the to orient, north america the far east. i don't i don't think is there i don't believe there is because they did uh, they kind of stuck it, close it, to except, home you know except templars who fought in the crusades or yeah exactly or, yep. or <laughs> Or the Varangian guards that, that who were basically Vikings hired by the Byzantine mm -hmm. emperors as security wow. guards. So so yes, a chainmail um, from Orient could have <laughs> could have found its way um, on the back of a warrior. That yeah, and I was going to say where I was thinking. When you were talking about that, I was thinking, was there any bones found around it, or was it just the chainmail? We I'm don't not, know. I'm I'm not aware. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was um, traded. You know, maybe it was used as, as an item for the for trade or or as a mm -hmm. gift to the right. local oh, yeah. native people. Be something very right? valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And apparently, uh, that that chainmail was rotted or you know mm -hmm. oxidized. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right, 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 or something. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So so clearly, it had been in the ground for a long time and. Right. There's no way that that farmer could have just, you know, gone on eBay and bought himself a right, chainmail right. shirt and hide it in the ground and say, yeah. oh, look oh, what look I found. Yeah. <laughs> I'm famous now. Woo. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. I'm going to have to look that up because that's, I'd never yeah. heard of that. What wow. time period was that? Uh, so, it was found? Um, it was early 1800s, I believe. Okay. Wow. Now, the interesting thing is that, um, I and I thought about it. I thought, well, couldn't, you know, just some colonial farmer brought it there as an heirloom mm -hmm. <laughs> from a medieval ancestor. Yeah, I thought, so how long was chainmail in use? And right. I realized that it was probably in use until firearms were invented. So, right, as long as men use swords and um, crossbows, chainmail was something Still. that you know right. you would need. But once the firearms were invented, uh, swords were kind of tossed aside. You know. Men always want the ladies and greatest weapon. So oh, absolutely, yep. <laughs> so, uh, so firearms came into into use, and this medieval armor was no longer needed. Right. So, if you if you look at some of the uh, breastplates, uh, the armor that some of these uh, early European explorers are shown mm. wearing in paintings, like um, or illustrations from 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 maps and stuff like that, or chronicles. It's one piece. The, the the metal is in one piece. So mm. Carmen would probably be able to explain how how that was made. But it was no longer metal links. You right. know, all hooked together, like painstaking wire. Together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They hooked right. them all together, and that's so, how they made it. And then double thickness in many cases. So I would say that by the 1500s, when um, Portuguese, Spanish, and and then French explorers mm -hmm. started sailing to North America, they no, nobody was wearing chainmail at right. the time so this so, this chainmail in vermont must have come from before the right. 1500s right. from the sword era right right when it ended up there we don't know but like you said it had to have been you know something of a, a product of that time period exactly wow right. that's fascinating i had not heard about that i that, that's something i'm gonna have to uh, i'm gonna have to look i wrote it down i just jotted the notes down as you were talking about it because i'm gonna have to look into that now that's very interesting and right. it goes back to saying you know again it talks about the fact that so many we know 
that there were other people that came here. And, I, and, I, and I've said this before, long before Christopher Columbus, he's the official in the record of coming over and into, uh, um, into uh, you know, America. discovering America. But we know that there was many here prior to that. Um, and yes. like you said, how would that word have gotten back to the Pope? And then if it's going back to the Pope, it's going to be going back to his little, you know, his group, the Templars. You know, it's right. it's you you can't prove that, but come on, it makes sense. I mean, if it's if that information is going to make its way back to the Pope, the Templars are going to know about it. Yeah. You know, right. because that's just it, you, you. I don't personally see how you could look at it any other way. So people were here. That's just fascinating, though. That that uh, that that was found. I'm I'm really going to have to look into the history of that. That's really interesting. Wow. Well, and I think that there was a lot of trust between uh, the various popes and the Knights Templar. I think mm -hmm. you know things went. Uh, badly in 1307, as we know, yeah, right, but right, up right. until that time, I don't think there was any bad blood between the popes and the Templars, and they right. only answered to him. So they were mm -hmm. literally uh, his special forces. Right. He, he right. could command them to go here or there. Yeah. Nobody would know, right? And right. Uh, if if he asked them to go to North America to explore, to, you know, to maybe claim it for Christendom. Mm -hmm. um, he wouldn't tell anybody <laughs> that they were going. They wouldn't have to tell anybody yeah. where they were going. It was, you know, private church business. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Right. And, a, and a Viking connection in between it right, right. there also. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, we know that the kings of Norway knew about North America. I mean, they were taxing the goods that were imported from, from right. Canada, especially, right. especially lumber. So they were, you know, um, profiting <laughs> mm -hmm. and they had records about the tax collections so Norwegian royalty they knew about North America and I personally have not been able to verify if there were any Templars at the Norwegian court you know at the royal court mm -hmm. maybe somebody out there who knows Norwegian history um, yeah. better than than I with my meager resources like i don't speak norwegian so i can't read any of the literature as far as i know there were no templars in norway um we know that they were in denmark i believe and the ones in denmark they answered to um to the templar master in london so the mm -hmm. london temple was responsible for any scandinavian templars All right and it is said that there were Templars on the island of Bornholm, which now uh, belongs to Denmark. Um, it's called Bornholm, B-O-R-N-H-O-L-M. And there's there's a whole book about this uh, mystery of these round churches on Bornholm, uh, written by uh, two authors whose name I, um, I don't recall off the top of my head, but I think it was... Oh, okay, I don't want to say it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe the title of the book is uh, The Templar Island or something like that, or Templars on Bornholm. What's interesting is that um, it is said that the Templars from Bornholm assisted the uh, Sword Brothers or the Brotherhood of the Sword in, in conquering, um, I think it was Estonia. So there were the so-called Baltic Crusades or Northern Crusades where the Teutonic Knights decided to go conquer the um, the Slavic pagans, my ancestors, Slavs. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I have a garage there, you know, with Teutonic Knights <laughs> on behalf of my ancestors. So, um, so Teutonic Knights were these German knights, very similar to, let's say, Templars and Hospitallers, but they were they were German. And the reason why uh, the Teutonic Knights had to, uh, sorry, the reason why uh, German crusaders decided to set up their own order, uh, called you know Teutonic Knights, mm -hmm. was because when um, they were in Jerusalem during the Crusades and they got wounded. The French uh, hospitalers and Templars didn't want to treat them in the hospitals, so so there was some beef between the Germans and the French and and you know <laughs> the English. So the the German Crusaders they set up their own order, Teutonic Knights, and they set up mm -hmm. a hospital, and eventually uh, the order grew, and then they wanted to expand, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, they they had a stake in the kingdom of Hungary, for example, and then they were kind of driven out of there because they got too strong. And then they decided to expand from Germany to the Baltic and they wanted to conquer the uh, Slavic pagan lands, but the Slavs fought back. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, there, <laughs> a small order called the Brotherhood of the Sword Mm -hmm. And um, they eventually joined the, the Teutonic Knights, but for a while, this Brotherhood of the Sword uh, was was trying to conquer something for themselves too. And they had a fleet, and it is said, so they were seaworthy. They had seaworthy ships, and they mm -hmm. had a fleet. And it is said that um, they were like an offshoot of of the Templar Order. But that's just a rumor. I haven't been able to right. confirm it. Yeah, I've been looking high and low for information on the Sword Brothers. Um, the Livonian Sword Brothers, but um, I haven't be, been able to find much. And the reason why I even started looking into the Sword Brothers was thanks to Gretchen Cornwall. Hi, Gretchen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because uh, she met uh, in her book, her first book about uh, the site in Wisconsin, Right. Yep. Um, there's a carving on one of the boulders there, which looks like, like the... The cross pate with a sword under it, and that's the right. symbol yes, of I've the seen sword that. brothers. Yes. Yep. I was like, "What sword <laughs> brothers?" Okay, I have to open this, and I um, actually sent you a picture, Jeff, of me sitting on Oak Island on the south at the South Shore Cove, reading a book about sword brothers. Ah, uh, I think I think I have that too. Oh, I was going to show this one real quick too. This is the uh, this is uh, Linda found this, and it talks about those books that you were talking about, the secret. Okay. Uh, the secret island, and then the round, uh, the round churches of Bornholm. That's it. Um, yes. The, yeah. yeah. Right so, so the, the the Templar secret island. That's it. I think mm -hmm. the author is um, Henrik. Um, uh, no. I don't see it on here. It doesn't say or Eric. Oh, this one says Janine Corda Cordu. No, 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 oh, no. That's a different one. Okay. Ehrlich Hogginson. I'm so sorry that I butchered okay. his name. I oh, don't no, remember it off the top yeah. one. I have a whole stack of books next to my laptop, and this is not among this one is not among them. <laughs> okay, wait, let's see if I have it here. Oh. I got another one too here. <laughs> no, I, I don't have it here. I yeah, so so <laughs> That's me reading a book about the Livonian Brotherhood of the Sword. And where are you sitting? That's on, yeah, that's on Oak Island. So that's <laughs> on Oak Island. Yeah, I was looking at not Boulderless Beach, but because you're sitting on a boulder. So that was it down from the uh, the swamp. Where is that? This is the South Shore Cove. Okay. Yeah. Oh yes, down it's from down from so, right. So so behind me is the swamp, and mm -hmm. then um, 
where you see the trees, that's on the, the way to the money pit. Over by the money pit. Okay. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's really neat. So, um, so what I'd like to kind of, um, you know, we've been going about an hour, um, and I'd like to kind of bring back towards the, um, the property, your property yes. there. Yes. Let's talk um, about your <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, getting back to your property, um, you know, we, obviously we had the, the folks from, uh, the Oak Island uh, team came out, Oak Island tours came out. You had, uh, uh, I think you had Rick out there and Tony Sampson and all those guys come out and that was in season four episode one and then again in episode two i believe mm -hmm. uh that you were uh, on the show and you were able to then show some of the um well they came out basically well talk about that a little bit and i think you you actually know some of the guys from oak island prior to any filming taking place is that right like doug or something you knew doug or, or scott barlow or something like that right so uh so um in my earlier years of living in Nova Scotia, I decided that Oak Island was going to be my main hobby. Mm -hmm. I would too, if it were me. And I know oh, a lot yeah. of the members feel the same way. We'd be all like, yes, yeah. that's my hobby. When you're, yeah. when you're that close, when you're that close. Yes, yes. And when you're this yeah, passionate I, I about was, it. I was kind of weighing my options, you know, like, oh, I could get into curling. That's a very popular sport. Yeah, oh, yeah. Curling, I yeah. could, you know, crochet cozies. But I'm more attracted to Oak Island. Yeah, absolutely. I would too. And I have to say, I'm I'm very fortunate uh, that my husband humors me in this uh, in this regard. He 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 loves the mystery as much as I do, That's and I'm great. able to yep. talk to him and and mm -hmm. discuss it with him. So so I run some ideas by him. He runs his ideas by me, and um, we talk about it a lot. Like mm -hmm. you know, not every day, but still, <laughs> it has been mm -hmm. one of the main topics of discussion in in our family. Yeah, so so Oak Island uh, and New Ross kind of became my my hobby, and I mm -hmm. I collected a lot of books. I um, I met some people who uh, were very knowledgeable about the history of Nova Scotia, namely Terry DeVoe. You might remember him from some of the earlier episodes where he talks about um, the Overton Stone that's uh, mm -hmm. out out by Yarmouth. Right, and. Um, Terry is an amazing guy. He's he's kind. He's generous with his time and his resources. Um, he is a member of the Archaeological Society. He uh, gives lectures and presentations on history. He's a scientist by trade. He works mm -hmm. with sonars. Um, but history and also Oak Island are are his passion. But he's very down to earth, and he has um, he, he's very grounded. So so if I you know, go to him like, Terry, what do you think about this? He's, he's able to very quickly bring me back down to earth and say, well, it was like this or it was like that. Oh no, and, you don't um, hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I need that because right, um, right. I have a very active imagination yep. and uh, I, I don't want to um, just reside or dwell in my imagination. I, right. I would like Gotta to find things yes. in, in the real back, world. Back <laughs> Yeah, just just as Gretchen Cornwall said, right. if, you know, if you have a theory but 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 nothing to back it up with, like no no facts, no no objective evidence, mm -hmm. then it's just an, a nice idea, but right. you know, exactly. nothing nothing more than that. Mm -hmm. So Terry's great, and uh, I usually go to him first when I when I have a question. And um, when the show, The Curse of Oak Island, first started. Of course, there were some fan groups on Facebook that sprang mm -hmm. up. There were many of them. 
Uh, some of them quite hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was one called Oak Island Raw, and um, you were allowed you were allowed to uh, verbally fight with other people in that. Oh, one. really? Wow! But uh, wow. I kind of back backed out of there. It was uh, you know a little too confrontational. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to quietly, peacefully discuss the Templar theory mm-hmm. with with somebody else who <laughs> right somebody else who, that was interested in that somebody subject. else who who uh, was interested in that too. So I I joined this one Facebook group that was dedicated to Oak Island, and and um, I believe that Doug and Doug Crow and Scott Barlow were the admins of that group. So they kind of quickly. Um, took me under their wings, so nice. to say. And I was I was grateful for that because even though I have lived in Nova Scotia for a long time and um, I have officially immigrated here and you know, all of that, I still feel like an outsider. It, it's really hard to um, replant a tree, right? Like you you pull it up mm-hmm. and then you try to <laughs> plant the root it again. And the roots else, don't yeah. always stay, right, in, in that new place. Mm-hmm. So I oftentimes feel like um, I'm be- I'm in this uh, vacuum between Slovakia and, and Canada. And uh, when I'm here, people tell me I speak with a Slovak accent. When I go to Slovakia, my family tell me I speak with Nova Scotia accent. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a mix so, going on. Exactly. So I feel like, yeah. um, where do I a actually hybrid. belong? Right. Right. Like, where where do I belong? And mm-hmm. and oftentimes your home is not just the physical place where you live, you know, mm-hmm. the the house yep. where you live, but it's right. the people that you are surrounded with that accept mm-hmm. you and yep. um, that will communicate with you and make you feel welcome. Right, exactly. That's that's the second layer of, uh, of, of having a home. And so I, uh, I want to thank all of the Nova Scotians who extended their friendship to me and who uh, welcomed me to their homes, their, their, their circle of friends. And among them, I, I count um, Doug and Terry and, and some others. Now, Scott is from PEI, so <laughs> Prince Edward Island. Uh, but um, he's, you know, one of my Oak Island friends too. So. So, so that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, that was Wanda said that she goes, I feel like that. And I was born here. <laughs> uh, well, you know, they, they have this term, uh, come from away. So if you were not uh, born here, but you move here, you are come from away. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That makes come, sense. Come, come from away. And it's actually a, a very old expression. It's kind really? of cute. Yeah. It's kind of cute. So, now, so you, uh, you, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So, so I, I started um, discussing the Templar theory uh, uh-huh. in this Oak Island group on Facebook. And at one point, I think um, so people started noticing that, you know, hey, this, uh, <clears throat> this Slovak <laughs> girl, <laughs> this commie pushing some Templar agenda here. Who is she? What is, what does she think mm-hmm. she knows? And <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so things got got you know a little more heated, but I always try to be polite and just debate the facts and, right, and not right. not you know re- respond or react to something more emotionally charged. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there can be, we know that. Yeah, yeah but I I can't remember if it was Doug or Scott. Um, 
they um, wanted to come to my rescue one time. I think they sent me, one of them sent me a message privately. I said, do you want me to take care of this guy? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, you know, bless your heart. Um, Thank you for your chivalry. But But... I want to, you know, stand my own ground. And if I can defend the Templar theory here in this forum. Exactly. You know, what what does that say about Mm -hmm. the theory? That it's not a very good one, right? Right, right. So I actually started welcoming some of the more critical comments and I thought, well, critics actually have an important role to play. They 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 keep you grounded and they force right. you to go back and re-examine right. everything that yeah. you believe in and to, to see if what they say is true and maybe what you believe is not true. So, you know, right. you should then correct your course and mm-hmm. keep sailing. So it also taught me um, to not take things personally and um i would say in the last two years of going to oak island and dealing with neuros i i have been kind of forced to or i was forced to let go of my um egoic mind i'll put it Mm. that way so i was really becoming attached to the templar theory and i felt like part of my identity was transferred to the templars and um i thought well that's not good, right? <laughs> um, it, it's uh, Templars are very exotic, but um, mm-hmm. you have to stay grounded. You have to <laughs> yeah. stay present and real. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you do that if you are so fully immersed in, in right. something like that? Right. Um, so, so in the last couple of years, I have had to <clears throat> recognize that mm-hmm. I put too much of my own identity into the in, into the Templar thing and um that i was seeing templars everywhere and Mm -hmm. you know that was not good so i had to pull back and uh, find some neutral ground from which i could be i would be able to examine and um consider the other theories too right right so for example there's a theory that there was a a tarn kiln on oak island by by joy Steele, and at first i do like that theory um, I read her book and I was like, no, this cannot be true. Oak Island has to be you know, more magnificent than, than just. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. That's something that simple, tar-tarking. right. But then I thought, what if she's right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, I, I certainly have no right to say that, that she's not right. Right. So I have to consider it. And, and if mm-hmm. she's got supporting evidence, then, then great, right? Mm-hmm. But I had to become more humble in, you know, within me, within myself. Right. And, let go of my need to be right, really. So I had mm. to let go of my need to be right and to be the only one who knows the truth, right? So that, that's the ego speaking. And I had to um, let go of that and replace it with something else. So now when I go to Oak Island, and I'm very fortunate that um, I uh, had access to it this year, for example, when it was uh, closed, during the tourist season because of COVID-19. Sorry, last year. Uh, I'm still stuck right. in, yeah, yeah. in the, stuck exactly. in the past. <laughs> it's ready in my mind. So I, I still uh, was able to go there and it felt very peaceful without the hordes of tourists. I kind of right. missed the, you know, the noise and all mm-hmm. the faces, but at the same time, it felt very peaceful. And I was able to just kind of sit there and meditate and contemplate and appreciate the natural beauty of, of the island. Yeah. And I thought that, um, that that was good. I felt I felt like I had reached that 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 sweet spot within me mm-hmm. that's at peace. 
where I no longer felt this need to be right and to validate my own ego and where I was okay with the fact mm -hmm. that uh, Oak Island might not be a work of the Templars and it's okay. Right. right. Yeah. For you to be able to go there and do that, like, you know, you got about eh, roughly 2 million people that are envious of the fact that you could go and do that on Oak Island and just <laughs> kind of relax and, and see it like that because yeah. I know so many of us would love to. I, I, I had plans to go there last year um, you know, going to get tickets in. And of course COVID happened and, and I was unable to go as well. Um, and that really, you know, and people, you know, and now when the tickets go on sale for the tour, I mean, they're gone in like five minutes, all the whole summer's worth of tickets are gone within five, 10 minutes. So you really have to be on top of that. And now we don't even know I, they're even holding off this year. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, don't, that's I, I wouldn't count on it personally. Mm -hmm. Our border is still closed. Right, um, right. Our airport lost the Halifax airport lost the status of international airport, so we oh, can really? no longer receive uh, flights from abroad. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, wow. I, I think twenty twenty two is probably the earliest that yeah. they will allow shame. people to enter Nova Scotia from, right. from outside. So back to Doug and, and Scott. So that's where I met them. I met them uh, in a Facebook group. And mm -hmm. uh, that was before they joined the team on Oak Island. Now, it is right. possible that there are already some things in motion, like right, you know, they right, had plans yeah. in motion that they didn't tell me about. But mm -hmm. I, I was uh, I befriended them or they befriended me before they were famous on the show yep. so that's why uh, i knew him back when. <laughs> <laughs> oh hey I, I know scott and doug yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, uh we actually met on oak island we took one of the tours with charles Markhouse. Mm -hmm. so so we went there as you know just civilians tourists <laughs> mm -hmm. and and that was great uh i think uh trevor furlet was with us he uh, he um He's um, a friend from, I think he lives in New Brunswick. And then uh, Thomas Kingston, he's a friend with um, uh, Peter Amundsen. Oh, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, gentleman yeah, who it. presented his theory regards in regards to Nolan's Cross. Right. And yeah, was I talked to him. Yes. Mm -hmm. I actually rather like uh, Peter's theory about uh, mm -hmm. the uh, Nolan's Cross and how uh, it could be actually the Kabbalistic tree of life. Mm -hmm. uh, where I disagree with him is that I still think that could be work of the Templars because I think they were familiar with the symbol of the right. Kabbalistic right. Uh, tree of life. That, that it was the Templars who brought scrolls with them from Middle East and then gave them to Spaniards. Yep. Um, and I think it was Spain where Kabbalah was written. So, yeah, I think so too. And I, and I think that, I think that, you know, like you, it's you. We need to have evidence to say that the, the Templars had anything to do uh, with any kind of treasure that may or may not have been on Oak Island. Uh, we'd love to make that connection, but we simply can't. But to say that Oak Island, uh, that the Templars have been on Oak Island, I think you're right. I think the cross is the place that you would look to for that answer, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Again, I might be completely wrong because I don't have anything to back that up, but I just have that feeling that the cross does play a part in that. And like, you know, and I was able to uh, actually speak with um, and had on a show um, Petter uh, Amundsen. And so his theory about all that is fascinating. I absolutely love that. And I still think that the, the cross Nolan's cross plays a bigger role in what happened over the years on Oak Island. Um, I, I really do. And I just hope that someday they will, 
you know, even Aaron, when Aaron was out uh, and she was just on his last season, Aaron Helton uh, and Rudy, uh, uh, Judy Rudabush was out uh, with her on the show and they were talking about the cross being very instrumental as well. Um, and I'm hoping to get back to that because they really haven't been able to yet. Um, you know, she was on for a few episodes in a row there, but now we haven't seen anything for a couple episodes. They were going to be looking underneath the cone E, I think it was, which is the bottom of the cross. Mm -hmm. So, but again, just saying that I, I think that does play a role and I would like to see them get back to that and hopefully, uh, we'll see more of uh, of Aaron's theory in that. Um, well, I like can... Nolan's Cross simply for the fact that it wasn't discovered until like uh, the 1980s, I think mm -hmm. like early 1980s. Mm -hmm. So this entire time during the 200 years of Treasure House, Alucard, nobody noticed it. It was right there <laughs> under their noses, right. but nobody knew it was there. So uh, before the Laginas came, it was one of the, uh, I would say, you know, uh, least um, intact, or no, the most intact, the most intact, most intact <laughs> yep. artifacts mm -hmm. or structures on Oak Island. So, mm -hmm. so uh, it was there this whole time. And even the original discoverers of the money feed didn't see it. Yeah, So, exactly. so that cross predates the money feed, in, in my opinion, by, yep. by how many centuries? I don't know, but yep. I, think I think it's really exactly cool. right. I think you're so exactly right. right. I was wondering when they were at your property, how long did they spend there? Well, we were, okay, I should probably explain how we even got involved. So uh, Doug found out that we bought the place in Uras that was in 2015 and, and in 2000, I think it was 2016, was when he asked us if we would like to host the Oak Island team at Uras and explain to them the history of the place. So we agreed, um, we, we had, um, an intense debate me and my husband they <laughs> <laughs> were like should we do it well of course we should why would we want to be on the crucible island and we're like, exactly but, i but mean but that's then, your passion you know, anyway right we will but then everybody will know our faces and mm. you know people will bother us and and um you know it can, can get out of hand i mean fame is a two-edged sword so yeah. it always cuts through about that, but i can imagine it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we agreed and then they came uh, the the crew the cast and the crew came there were quite a few people there and um just you obviously you can't see it on the show but the, the amount of people it requires to to make this show is is huge mm. and so i would like to recognize their efforts and their hard work because they stand there in the sun for hours every day they get eaten by mosquitoes and you know the the famous black flies of Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. and they're relentless. They're relentless, <laughs> especially in New Ross. New Ross seems to be the place where they breed. And so, uh, and of course, ticks. I think even Rick got bitten by a tick. On yeah, he did. He got Lyme disease. Lyme disease. Yeah, he did. He had Lyme disease one season. Right. That was a couple seasons ago. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so the, so the cast and the crew they make personal sacrifices when when mm -hmm. they you know make the show and right. uh, you don't necessarily <laughs> become aware of that just by watching mm. the show right so they came and uh, they stayed with us for two days and then we filmed another episode a third time and i think it was a year after that but that episode never aired and i don't think i'm allowed to talk about it until it airs so okay. i would say mom yep 
Yeah. We understand. We understand that completely. There is a little story about this T-shirt that I'm wearing in the picture. So I'm standing with uh, with Doug, Carl, Rick, Legina. My husband is next to me, and then uh, Charles Barkhouse. Mm-hmm. And we are standing uh, behind the so-called Hermstone. That's the right. standing stone that uh, Joan found. Uh, I don't know if she found it in the 70s or the 80s, but it was face down, and then she erected it and surrounded with some rocks to support it and, and keep it in place. And this mm-hmm. stone is the one that seems to have a cross pate on yep. uh, the yeah. face. Of yeah, it. it sure does. I mean, it sure looks like it to me. I mean, you could, you know, and again, this is where we need to get, uh, we need to get Sean Williamson involved because it sure looks like to me when I glance at, it, especially from this point of view right here, it sure looks like there is a cross pate on there. Um, well, I, I very have weathered, but, some you know. photos of it so saved on my computer and when i open um the folder in which they are i just see the the thumbnails for each photo right and it's in the thumbnail that that the cross pattern really stands out so if you if you just shrink it you it's you can over. really notice the pattern but w- whether or not it was you know carved by hand or if it's a result of um just you know natural weathering we don't we don't know um, so I'm wearing this in the photo. I'm wearing <laughs> my Lucky Templar T-shirt. The Lucky Templar T-shirt. All right. Lucky Templar T-shirt. And uh, I was asked to cover it, <laughs> to not show it on. on oh, no. Why? Of I mean, why would they not want to see that? Because, uh, yeah, go ahead. Explain. I know you got the reason for that, but that's just crazy. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so they uh, they didn't want me to wear it because, you know, it might sway the audience to maybe, you know, one way or the other, like believe in the Templar or not believe in the Templar. So they didn't want me to promote any theory or angle or viewpoint (laughs) um, during that episode. And I put on this jacket, this black jacket, I zipped it up and um, then I was sweating the whole day. So the sun was shining on my black jacket and I was just steaming under it. And the sweat, of course, uh, attracted the black mm-hmm. fly. Oh, yeah. and they crawled yep, under my hair and bit me on, on the back of my neck. And then I had this allergic reaction at home. <laughs> and I just had these welts for two weeks. But um, oh, it was it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> just to, yeah, just to be there. But yeah, again, you know, that's that's the whole reason why I mean, you know, they they even did on the show. They did a little thing where they took uh, and and superimposed the cross pate over there to kind of see where it would have fit, so you could get a better look. So why they wouldn't want you to show your T-shirt? I don't know. That's just weird, you know. But anyway, and I and I remember no, during it, the episode. It's okay. You- I had a I had to chuckle about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to be difficult. I, I wanted to cooperate and, right. you know, make them feel welcome. And like, yeah, yeah. like there were no obstructions right. to their success. So I, mm-hmm. I wanted to um, honor their wishes, which I did. Right. Yep. And now they, and so from that, um, and I'm sure they were there on your property, of course, you know, when this kind of thing happens, anytime there's a person uh, of special interest like yourself or, you know, uh, any of the theorists that have been on the show with like Corian and, and Christopher Morford and them, uh, they're on there for hours and hours and hours. And yet you see about five minutes of them actually being on the show. And I assume that happened with you. I, they came out to your property. Uh, they came out with Tony, Tony Sampson was there and, uh, Mike Huntley, I believe was in his team at that time or may mm-hmm. still be. Um, and so Tony went out and he actually dove into the, well, they first came out and they put that camera down. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that was on one particular excursion to your place, but they put the camera down in the well and they looked around at the water. And at that time they were thinking that there was maybe some kind of a, a flagstone bottom in it. Um, yes. that was hard to so, tell. Um, the, the whole idea about flagstones, uh, came from actually it, it's connected to the money pit. So apparently there were some flagstones from the gold river inside the money pit. There was a, a layer of, of flagstones. Um, and they came from the Gold River. And mm. I don't know how true that is or what made the flag so, so special that, that they had right. to be brought to account all the way from the Gold River. Right. But uh, somebody said that the same types of flagstones were at the bottom of our well. And the whole point of, of that, of putting the camera down the well, was to see if there are any flagstones. And what we found was that that that's not the actual bottom of the well. It's a false right. bottom or like a, like a plug. We think that the well got filled in partially, and um, what Tony found was just silt. Right, and I know I think Tony Tony was actually uh, watching. I, I don't know if he's still with us or not, but he he was watching and uh, and he had said on the show that and this is something I there, he's actually going to be coming up at the end of the month. I'm gonna Tony's coming on with us on the 27th, and I wanted to ask him about that because he had mentioned that it seemed to him like there was a, 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 maybe a, as much as two feet of silt or you know on the bottom there. Yeah. Um, um, and he felt I, rocks, I think, or some kind of. He said he felt, thought he felt with his feet. He thought he felt like a rocky bottom rather than a mm-hmm. flat bottom, more of a yeah. stony bottom underneath there. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, Joan Harris wrote in her in her book, which she self which she self published in the nineties. I think it's called uh, A Castle in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. It's out of print now. I know Doug Kroll has the last copy, so if you want it, you have to go to him. Uh, <laughs> So she wrote that the well is maybe 60 feet deep, like as deep as, as, as that, and that the fire department in New Ross would go to this stone well and draw water from it to fill up oh, their wow. trucks. Mm-hmm. So the well right now is about 20 feet deep, and it doesn't hold enough water to fill up fire trucks, right? Right, right. So it must have been deeper. And right. uh, if it's 60 feet or more or less, I, I don't know. But I feel like it must have been filled in since since John Harris. Yeah, because, you know, even when they, you know, when they were there and they were putting that camera down in there, they were only, you're right, they were only going down about 20 feet. And I think they even mentioned that at the time. And you're exactly right in saying that the fact that they're not going to be able to fill up a fire truck with that little bit of water that's that was right. in there at the time. So... Now she said it was 60 feet deep. That's significant. That's significant. um, Yes. And again, the question is why would you need a well that deep? Because this well at, well, at the depth that it it is right now at 20 feet, it's got plenty of water. It even overflows. So there's an overflow pipe. So, so I feel like 60 feet was unnecessary. So why would somebody dig a well that deep? Like what's, what's the point? And, um, the stones that constitute the the walls of the well, there's no mortar between them. They're right. just kind of fitted right. together or leaning against each other. And the smallest ones are at the top and they grow in size as you go deeper and deeper into the well. So somebody put a lot of thought into it. And I just can't even imagine how it was dug by hand because you know it wasn't safe right you you can collapse but while you are digging it can you imagine excavating by hand you know with a shovel at 60 um 
feet depth, the depth of 60 feet, that, right. that's dangerous, right? Like there were no caissons in the um, 1800s exactly. or 1900s. Yeah, exactly, okay. right. Right. Did they ever, have you ever had any uh, GPS or anything done on it to see if there's anything down below? No, no. Um, we we didn't bring any instruments to, to New Ross that I recall. We're not allowed to do any type of metal detecting uh, without a permit. So the, the current law in Nova Scotia states that if your intention is to look for, let's say, artifacts, you have to have a permit. And we, we just haven't done that. Like we haven't applied for one and we never tried to metal detect the place. Maybe somebody else did that, but not me or Tim. Yep. Now I know when, when Tony went down, uh, we, you know, and I'm going to show some of the, uh, I got a few pictures here that I wanted to show. Um, and I know that again, that they, these were, uh, they were taken at the time and it left us with a bunch of questions and as, mm. as many things on the Island do. Um, and of course, you know, everybody, everybody saw like this picture here, yes. um, as Tony was, I think this one was actually noticed by the camera, um, mm -hmm. that they put down in the hole. Uh, or in the well and got to look at that, you know, and so that's, I mean, could it be a natural, a natural triangle? Yes, I suppose it could be, but man, that sure looks like that's been carved. Now we have no idea of saying who would have done that or when somebody would have done that. Um, but it just sure looks like a carved triangle, uh, down in that well. And then again, there was a, and this was actually taken from the TV show when they were talking about it, they actually enhanced the picture. And then as you can see, they made it look like there was some sort of an eye in the center, which it does. There is a dimple in the rock. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely a dimple there that looks like somebody had created as well, right. you know, and that goes along with the, the all seeing eye. Yeah. Um, and it sure, it has that same type of shape, mm -hmm. um, which is also the, the uh, all seeing eye that is on the back of our dollar bill. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all ties back to the Freemasons. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and just before we got started on, uh, on the show today, um, yeah, it, you know, it's a Templar mark or could be. So, uh, you know, you would look at that and you would say, okay, well, this has got to be from the Templar, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was, or even the Freemasons. Uh, we know there was a lot of Freemasons at the time around there, and there are now today too, right? There's Freemasons. There, in there is actually um, a Masonic lodge that's um, literally like two houses away. Oh, really? <laughs> from the from the property. Yeah. Uh, so I, I honestly don't know how old uh, that Masonic lodge is when it was established. Uh, probably, you know, in more modern times, but. I'd like to mention James McQuiston. He's one of the theorists on Oak Island, and uh, his theory centers on Sir William Alexander, who came to Nova Scotia from um, Scotland to colonize it for King James I. Mm -hmm. So Sir William Alexander was the one who named Nova Scotia. It means New Scotland. So right, he was right. a Scottish noble, and he was sent here with his family and other uh, Scottish noblemen Mm -hmm. to colonize the place in the name of uh, King James I. Um, so he gave the name, uh, he gave the province its name, and he was here um, in the, I think, 16, 1620s through 1630s. Mm -hmm. 
at which point they were the Scots were asked to leave because Nova Scotia changed hands. It went from being um, from belonging to the English crown to belonging to the French crown, and then it changed hands again and back and forth. It was French, English, then you know French again, and uh, the Scots they they had to leave. Now um, James McQuiston believes that they hid their own treasure, a Scottish treasure on Oak Island, but that also uh, Sir William Alexander had some kind of an estate, like a private, uh, maybe even secret estate built for himself and his sons in New Ross. And uh, Sir William Alexander and his sons became the first Freemasons. They started it. Wow. So did they carve? Did they build? Did they have any state there? Did they build a stone well and carve the the, the pyramid with the all-seeing eye mm -hmm. in one of the stones? I don't know. Maybe it's a wild theory, but <laughs> <laughs> could but, be. Never know. It, yeah, yeah. And and so, but you know, and I think you were you and I had talked a little bit about the fact that 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 well predates uh, goes back a lot, a lot more. You know, uh, does it predate the eighteen sixty one founding of of New Ross? Do you know? Do you have? I think we talked about that a little bit, but I don't remember the date you were giving me on when that. But Stonewall's right. been there a long time. Right. So, um, so if we take the um, official recorded and accepted history, mm -hmm. then the oldest age or the uh, the earliest year for for this well would be 1817 when the blacksmith Daniel McKay resided there. He mm. would have needed a well, right? Right. Um. Right. And, and you know, even if the stone well is two hundred years old, that's awesome. I love it even more. You know, if I can right. uh, assign a year to it of eighteen seventeen, that that is still a historical well. Absolutely. But um, um, Joan Harris, she hired a Mi'kmaq man to help her around the house and in the backyard, and he told her that the Mi'kmaq people who lived in um, the area of Gold River that, that, that they used to come to what is now New Ross and that they uh, drank water from that well before the town was founded. So according to Joan, the local Mi'kmaq tradition says that the well was already there before the town was founded in 1816. Wow, that's fascinating. It really is. And because that goes back, so, you know, <sighs> That'll go back over a hundred years, correct? Or more? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and there's really no way of, I guess, or, or, or you know, going to be a chance of getting that thing dated to find out when it was made. But that's that's just too coincidental. And and the same thing goes. And I know you and I talked a little bit about the uh, uh, the stones that were found underground and the fact that. Uh, and I don't know how much we you want to do uh, possibly even share about that, but um, you know, the stones that were found on the property and the fact that they they seem to make some sort of a foundation. Um, and the, and the fact that, uh, you know, you're, you were basically over the time period, nobody really wanted to pay any attention to that when, uh, Joan, I guess had some people come out and look and, and they didn't, uh, they're like, oh yeah, there's really nothing to see here. It just could have been an old farm or whatever, or, or the stones don't mean anything at all. Um, it's, it has to be a little bit frustrating because, you know, uh, there sure seems to be some history there that we'd all like to know about. I know you probably are just dying to find out more about that. Um, and, and, and it doesn't seem like anybody really cares. Um, that, that well, really... they did care enough to answer her letters and, and come. So it was um, 
I believe it was two archaeologists who came from Parks Canada. At the time, it was Parks Canada who was responsible for um, archaeological excavations, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was um, a man and a woman. And um, they came, they inspected the, the place. They took a good look at the foundation that Joan Harris had uncovered. They considered all of the artifacts that she presented to them. And, you know, I, th- I think they were polite but firm. And they said, we are sorry, but um, this looks like standard, you know, 19th or early 20th century stuff. Mm-hmm. I think she was um, maybe disappointed or even heartbroken over that, oh, yeah. but Absolutely. she couldn't convince them otherwise. And I have to say that um, I understand completely where the archaeologists uh, were coming from. Even if I invited an archaeologist there today, he would tell me the same thing. There's nothing special about this place or, you know, like nothing to indicate that it's pre-colonial. So I I just don't have evidence to to support anything else <laughs> uh, other than, you know, right. the year 1817 when the blacksmiths moved there. Right. So. right. Exactly. Wow. That's and, and, that's and if I if I were yeah. an archaeologist, I would I would want the same, you know, show oh, me absolutely. the evidence. Like, mm-hmm. what have you got here, lady? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that, you know, talking to Laird, um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, have Laird on and uh, talk with him. Uh, and there, He's going to be coming back on. Matter of fact, next week, we've got Laird and uh, um, Stephen Guptill coming on next weekend. And, um, you know, and he, you know, when I talked to him before and you ask him, even Aaron Taylor, you ask him, you know, any kind of, do you have any kind of a theory on, you know, what this could be or what's going on on Oak Island or anything like that. And they right off the bat, they're like, no, we don't, we don't work in theory. We work in artifacts. We work in what we pull up from the ground to tell a story. These Mm -hmm. are proven pieces that we found like charcoal dating, you know, charcoal, things of that nature. And it will tell them a story. So they don't work in theory. They work in artifacts and facts found from those artifacts, which, you know, is very true. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, and you put so that, that very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And it's that's exactly what would happen on your property there. They're going to come out. And if there's nothing to support saying, oh, yeah, this is definitely Templar, I mean, what else can, what conclusion can they come to at that? Or really, no conclusion, actually, at that point, I suppose. And I can see where that would be disappointing for Joan and maybe even for yourself because. Man, I just I just have to think that there's more to this. But like you said, now also, you know, there was a little, uh, you know, and, and again, I don't know how much of this you want to share or can share. Um, but we talked about the stone um, was removed from the property. I guess it's not there now, right? Is that true, or is that something you want to talk about, or no? <laughs> is is that the so-called Herm stone, the, yeah. the standing stone with, yes. with the cross? Okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so so the stone was found by uh, Joan Harris when she right. was conducting her own. Uh, excavations and mm-hmm. she she found it lying face down and then she erected it put some rocks around to hold it in place the stone is incredibly heavy like you wouldn't believe and it's uh it doesn't have an even shape so it, it's really hard to handle without equipment so i don't even know how how she managed to put it up um and she she turned it so that it would face the well so it was almost straight across from from the stone well and she never mentioned that there was a Templar cross on it. If she had seen the Templar cross on it, I'm sure that she would have mentioned it in, mm. in her book, that she would have seized upon it. But to her, it looked like um, the, the Celtic deity called Herm. 
and uh, from then on it became known as the Hermstone. Okay. I um I I don't remember if Michael Bradley saw the cross on it or not. It's not readily visible. It, it funny enough um the best time to see the cross on that stone is when it's foggy outside. <laughs> so it's oh, certain really? light from ah, a certain okay. angle it really stands out but mm -hmm. you know you have to have to be lucky. But if that stone was exposed to Nova Scotia weather for several centuries it would look really bad <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah. yeah the weather here really destroys um the the surfaces uh, of you know houses um if, if you have anything wooden outside unless it's treated wood you know you can say goodbye to it after two years or so right so so this hermstone um we we decided to mention it on the curse of oak island and um say that you know potentially it has uh, the cross templar cross pate on it we said other things about it too mm -hmm. for example zena halpern's idea was that it's not um a templar cross but the goddess tanit she was into this phoenician goddess called mm -hmm. tanit t-a-n-i-t okay and uh, to her it was not a cross, but um, a, a feminine or female figure with, with outstretched arms. And she said there were other carvings like that elsewhere in North America. So, yes, we were in contact with Zina Halpern, too. And my husband actually visited her in New York in her home. And she showed him all kinds of maps and artifacts. She was very, very, very cool. If you think she's cool on the show, she was. Oh, yeah. I, can't imagine. I would love to <laughs> in, yeah. in real life and very, very kind very intelligent and sprite so yeah we we, we miss her um, it, was, it was nice that they preserved all our papers on our island that she gave them to rick yeah yeah, yeah that was actually a, a good move so mm -hmm. i i believe it was her son who sent the papers to oak island the, uh, certainly it her work is the most appreciated um on oak island right mm -hmm. um so this stone was just sticking out of the ground there there was no fence around it no no barrier to keep vandals out and we get trespassers there all the time so uh, we decided to move it before the show aired before that episode aired and we said we have to move it to a safe place because when people see it and hear us talking about templars they can just drive up here and take it or you know smash it or yeah something like that so right. we took it out of the ground and we decided to store it and then uh we made a deal with the queen's county museum in liverpool mm -hmm. to house the stone so so they have it on loan and and there's actually a neat ghost story to go with the stone and with really? the museum. may i share yeah go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, please do <laughs> all right um so i talked to the museum director linda raffius over the phone <laughs> several times and we we were basically discussing the logistics of how we're going to transport the stone to the museum because <laughs> yeah, the museum is very heavy and it's a big stone yeah need a flatbed truck to to transport it and the museum doesn't have a flatbed truck so oh really so so my husband um ended up delivering it to Liverpool and then the museum hired somebody to transfer it from his truck to inside <laughs> <laughs> the museum. They had a mm -hmm. they had um, a truck with uh, with a fork or like a forklift. Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were able to lift the stone and then like insert it into the museum through the doors. It was wow. quite 
quite fascinating to watch. So while I was on the phone with Linda, mm -hmm. our stone was still in the ground at, at, at Neuros. And at, at that moment, uh, one of the museum employees, whose name is also Linda, was walking by uh, the museum ship that they have on exhibit inside the museum. And she noticed there was a ghost standing on the deck of the museum ship, looking in the direction of, uh, of the director's office while she was on the phone with me really? about the stone. And what was interesting was, you know, not so much that there was a ghost <laughs> in the museum, but uh, that the ghost looked like a medieval knight in really? a helmet, in oh, armor, wow. with oh. gloves, and a very uh, stern <clears throat> look on his face. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I, I want to add that uh, the the woman who saw the ghost, the other Linda, she was not aware of the fact that her boss, Linda mm. Raffius, was speaking to me about the transfer of this stone from Murat to the museum. It was just between me and the, and right. the museum. Director, and that ghost so. is probably thinking, no, 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 you're not bringing that <laughs> <back> here. <laughs> maybe he, maybe, well, if he came from Murat, I, I would say he uh, was checking out the museum to see what was suitable for. <laughs> oh, maybe you might be right. Yeah, he was making yeah. sure it was suitable for the stone to be yeah. there. That's funny. That's amazing. Well, uh, I got, well, yeah. Yes, well, um, we uh, got some site. We invited geeks, <laughs> or they invited themselves. I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> for the property near us. We mm. wanted to see what they had to say about it, right? So we can't look underground with instruments without a permit, but you know we can uh, <laughs> use the psychic's uh, third eye <laughs> to, <laughs> to scan the and tell us what's there and uh, what they, they told us all kinds of things and they one of the things that they picked up on was that there's a there's a guardian ghost or guardian entity right that's what somebody yeah. was just saying that was yeah. uh michelle just said that the stone has a guardian <laughs> stone has a guardian yes yeah and uh, we were told by the psychics that um yes there, there is a ghost that guards the place and that he's kind of standoffish and a little disagreeable <laughs> And uh, that he's French, tall, thin, and French. Hmm. That's very interesting. Wow. Yes. And I know that, you know, Gretchen and I kind of talked about it, some of that, the paranormal side of things too, because she is somebody who I think, I believe is, um, there, there, some people are, and again, this is, that's a paranormal is a, is a talk for a whole completely different show. Um, but I, I am a person who kind of follows the paranormal side of things. And she, there's some people out there that are kind of um, more intuitive or intuitive to to yeah. paranormal uh, influence than others. And I think she is one of them. And you may mm. very well be as well. But I know that she uh, she gets a feeling about certain things. Now, some people brush that off as you know, oh, that's just malarkey or whatever. They don't believe in it. But um, if you are somebody who does pick up on that it's an incredible experience and uh, i've had a few over the course of my life too but again that's a that's kind of a discussion for a different show but <clears throat> that's very interesting that you you bring that up um now what i'd like to do <clears throat> excuse me i need to get a drink of water here as well um what i'd like to do is start to open up a little bit for uh some of our guests we've uh our, our members we've uh, been on for about an hour and almost 45 minutes now <laughs> the time has really flown by and and i would like to say now i've asked everybody to kind of hold off on their questions um okay. and we do have a few that are coming on if we could 
uh, cover those. Uh, Henry DeWitt actually put this one up, and he doesn't have his name on here, but he was asking about, uh, if you could read that there, it says the area of Ludenburg, Nova Scotia. Um, Lun, Luden, I know I'm saying that wrong. Uh, Nova Lunenburg. Scotia. Thank Lunenburg. you. Yeah, uh, used to be called, uh-oh, I'm never Mer- going to. Merely Gash. Thank you. Uh, prior, <laughs> prior to the English-German uh, Protestant st- uh, settlement in 1753, do you know the name of that uh, Scottish the origins, I guess? So the name Mirligash can be actually seen on French maps, the early mm-hmm. French maps of Nova Scotia. They mentioned Mirligash and even um, there, there's one map from, I think, late 1600s, early 1700s mm-hmm. that shows Mirligash River. And I'm trying to figure out if the Mirligash River meant the Gold River because ah, on, on that okay. map portrayed mm-hmm. as being um, next to like a major river next to La Have River. And La Have mm-hmm. River is by Bridgewater, modern um, Bridgewater. And then the next greatest river, I think, could be the Gold River. So, yes, we know that there was a Mirligash River. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, looks like emptied into my home base. So again, that's another clue that merely gash right. meant uh, gold river. Right. And uh, um, James McQuiston mentions merely gash in his books. Uh, he did some research um, um, uh, into the origin of that word. And he says that it means old alliance or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I have one of his books with me, but I don't know if that's the one where he talks about it. So it's actually a great question <laughs> for James <laughs> McQuiston. But yes, Merely Gash uh, is a very odd sounding name. It's not from the French language. So I would say it's uh, probably Gaelic, you know. Um, oh, okay. Or, mm-hmm. and, and Gaelic would be Scottish. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. So, okay, I'd like to uh, throw that out there to everybody, uh, in, any of the members that wanted to ask a question. Now's a good time to throw that up there. And again, we asked you to hold off on that simply because so many things go by in the chat. I mean, we already have 200, over 215 comments that have been made while we've been speaking. Because um, I, I so- made them wait. I, I, I have been, you know, <laughs> keeping them waiting for almost two hours. So thank, I want to thank everybody for their patience. Mm-hmm. You know, once I get going about okay, we are all sorts of flowers. I, I speak for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love it. We absolutely love it. You have so yeah. much uh, interesting knowledge. Go ahead, Jack. Alexander, Linda's just put on our board here. Books, 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 please. Can you yeah. put up a list of good books for our group by posting them on our group page? Well, I know we had the one. We have her, uh, and, and I've got a picture here, if I could butt in real quick. Uh, we have a picture of your books. Uh, My you books. Three. Oh, okay. Yeah, you have your books right there uh, that you've done. I, I will show you. I Yes, I will tell you about my books. I just wanted to show you that I I brought all the books that I have that speak about neurons. Oh, my goodness. Look at that stack right there. <laughs> could you oh, put, my gosh. Could you put some of those online also, the titles online also for us? Yeah. I don't know yes, if you're... Uh, I, I sent some to Jeff by email, but if you if you don't have it, I would really recommend the Sinclair Saga by Mark Finnan. Okay. Let me I, bring I you back up here so it's bigger. Hold on one second. Yeah, let yeah. me bring you back up. There we go. Right. So this is the Sinclair Saga by Mark Finnan. You can buy it from Amazon. Mark Finnan lives in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. and uh, he has written several books about the history. So he has one about Oak Island, but this one mentions New Ross and it's good. I, I like it. He did a good job. 
Uh, another one, of course, is the Holy Grail across the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I right. think I'm getting some glare here from my window. <laughs> and then the ghost stories of Nova, more ghost stories of Nova Scotia by Vernon Eichel. That one. I'm definitely gonna get that one. I want to read that one right yeah. there. I one love mentions that the paranormal activity in Uros. Oh, really? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna definitely yeah. get that. <laughs> Uh, oh, then yeah. we have Oak Island Nights by James McQuiston, which shows a medallion that was found in Uros, and it's uh, it looks like the medallion is from the year 1671. So, yeah, what was the, you, yeah? You told me a little story about that medallion. Do you got a you got a minute just to share that real quick with us? Right. So this medallion is uh, from the British Order of the Garter, it's a chivalric order, mm -hmm. and the Knights of the Order of the Garter. Uh, get this medallion and there were only so many medallions minted in each year when mm -hmm. these medallions were given out to the you know new knights right and uh, this particular one it was uh, apparently from the year 1671 so in that year only three medallions um, were minted and given to king of sweden duke of saxony and sir christopher monk sir christopher mm -hmm. monk was in the service of um, the um, English crown. And we think that, or rather uh, James McQuiston, the author of this book thinks that Sir Christopher Monk gave the medallion to uh, William Phipps. William Phipps was also in the service of the crown wow. and he was responsible for recovering gold from a Spanish galleon called the La Concepcion. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently the Spanish galleon sank on the way back to Europe and it was carrying an insane amount of gold. And so everybody wanted to salvage this gold, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, William Phipps was able to do it and he delivered the gold to England and he gave it to the king. And um, he only got like a tiny, tiny portion of it and probably gave a lot of his own cut to the crew because right. otherwise they might have mutinied on the way to England Yeah, with all that gold right, right. <laughs> on board. So, uh, so uh, James thinks that um, Sir Christopher Monk gave his own medallion from the Order of the Garter to William Phipps as um, reward or, you know, token of gratitude and appreciation. Mm -hmm for successfully getting this treasure from the Spanish galleon. And that um, um, William Phipps was sent to back to Nova Scotia to search Oak Island and Port Royal and maybe even New Ross for the Scottish treasure. But you're gonna have to read this book. It's very complicated <laughs> uh, theory and I probably don't remember half of it, but yes, the medallion was found in New Ross, not exactly on our property, but I would say uh, two doors down, and was found by two boys who were playing with Tonka trucks in the dirt. How cute is that? And oh, they found crazy. this medallion. They had no clue what they had found, and they kept it as a you know childhood treasure. Right, right. And, yeah. and then later, when they were older, they probably showed it to somebody who said, you know, well. <laughs> This is quite defined. <laughs> yeah. What do you got here? Right. Oh right. So, so, so it's, uh, it's amazing. And James did a great job of tracking it down and trying to figure out what that medallion was and what year it was from and how it could have gotten to Neuros. Now, of course, critics will say, well, it was just some coin collector, careless, one of those right. careless 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of three coins ever made. And yeah, he's going to be yeah. careless enough to just, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah you know, that. dropped it in the garden and never went looking for it, even though it's the size of my palm. Right. Yeah. Wow. Is it really that big? Wow. Yeah. It's large. One wow. thing I'd like to have you talk about, I know you're an author also. If mm -hmm. you could talk about your three books a little bit before we go and everything. Okay. So um, I have a son, Nicholas, and uh, when he was about three years old, um, we uh, came back to live in Nova Scotia. Uh, we, we moved away and then we came back. And when we came back, we had a child <laughs> with us, our son, Nicholas. And we um, lived in this haunted house and that we had stayed in before. And uh, when we returned to this house years later with a child, the ghost was no longer there. The house was no longer haunted. And we were disappointed. We were like, oh, you know. So my husband said, well, write a story about it, um, about our experiences with the ghost and, you know, the hauntings. And mm -hmm. maybe we woke island into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I wrote the story and I kept expanding on it and eventually it became a book called Nikki and the Lost Templar. So, so that's the, the book um, that shows the flying raven and a boy mm -hmm. in a pirate costume. Right, so that's my first right book, Nikki yep. and the Lost Templar. And of course, the main character is my son, Nikki. But uh, in the book, I, um, I made him 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I had to project into the future and try to imagine what my son would be like mm -hmm. when he's 12. And now he's not quite 12 yet, but <laughs> now I can kind of check and does see he, why does I was he right. Have some, does he, yeah, I was going to say, does he have some of those traits? <laughs> yeah, and he actually loves Oak Island. I, really? I brought my son to Oak Island um, when he was maybe four or five. I remember uh, I... Uh, wheeled him there in a stroller because I didn't think he would last the three-hour tour. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to the money pit and um, it was very muddy. Like it was totally filled with water. Oh, and really? he was looking oh. at it and he goes, Mom, um, there's a skeleton at the bottom of this pit and he's got his hands over a treasure chest. So the skeleton is guarding the treasure. <laughs> oh, wow. That's interesting. And wow. they have some bones down there. So you never know. He might be right. Or it might have been right at one time. It might be all obliterated <laughs> now, but uh, you might be right. That's interesting. So, yeah. So my son wow. at the age of four <laughs> wow, formulated four his old. own thing. <laughs> yeah. he, needs to, he needs to tell that to Rick and Marty, man. He might get on the show. <laughs> well, uh, he did meet uh, Rick Lenina really? in, in New Ross. Wow. Yeah. So while they were filming, I had to go and pick up my son at the daycare. And uh, I brought him back to New Ross. And um, he he <laughs> was kind of bored. He didn't see what, what the exciting you know thing was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he rather liked Rick. Rick is very kind. And um, my son, um, I think my husband gave him a little voice recorder, like a little mm -hmm. handheld voice recorder. And I have a picture of Rick holding my son on his knee, like sitting down on the stairs, holding my really? son on his knee. Oh, and my son precious. was holding the recorder, uh, to, uh, you know, Rick's face and he was interviewing Rick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You got to share that. You got to well, share that. Um, I, I didn't hear the whole conversation, but I know that uh, he asked Rick, so Rick, what are your nightmares? <laughs> oh, really? Nightmares? Uh, huh? <laughs> probably nightmares are not ever finding getting an answer to what's going on on Oak Island. That would be a nightmare. 
my, my son is, my son is quite a character and uh, no surprise that I wrote a book about him so so there's actually three now uh, it's a series and in, in every book he has a different adventure he looks for a different treasure and I, I did weave the Templars and Oak Island into it so Mm -hmm. but, yeah, I know yeah, Linda's um, talked about the books quite a bit because she okay. has grandchildren. She's talked about <laughs> it quite a bit. And I'm going to have to do the same thing because I'm sitting I'm over here looking at the screen because I have your book still up on my screen over here. And I'm going to have to do the same thing because I have a granddaughter. She's, you know, she's only one year I old. Have, but when I she have two. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Jack. Yeah. So I think this is going to be a great read for them. I, I'm, I'm interested in reading them myself. So, yeah, you'll be selling a few more of these books. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, now You'll be selling a few more of these, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. before, uh, before anybody buys them, maybe get in touch with me and I'll find out what the shipping <laughs> was oh, okay, from Nova I'm Scotia. sure it's, it's insane, but um, I can send an ebook by email. It's no problem. Okay. Um, yeah, there was another person, and this was, I believe, Tom Burns was asking about, and this was about the stone that was inside the uh, well. Did anyone ever check to see if the stone engraved with the triangle in the well was from the same era as the other stones, or could it be uh, possibly be from another source? So I didn't know. And again, I think um, you weren't that, able to really a, do too much with it. That, that's actually a really good question, but I don't have an answer to it yet. Uh, we haven't really tried to compare the stones uh, inside the well to see if uh, they are all the same kind or, you know, of different kind mm -hmm. and if maybe the one with the triangle um stands out like maybe it's a different kind of stone different color or we we have to go back and investigate but you know if you want to do anything in that well you have to pump it out then you have to put a ladder down the well and go down mm -hmm. the ladder and inspect i i've done that myself <laughs> oh have you really yeah i've been down the well and um uh, it's um it's it's very cool like the pictures don't do it justice um just imagining how it was constructed right you know like there couldn't have been very many men standing down on the bottom when they were mm -hmm. trying to fit those stones and right around it and, and do it do it well so maybe like one maximum two guys in very close quarters mm -hmm. so it was uh you know a, a great feat to to, to build the well Jeff, I think I sent you a photo of of the well. Did I? I not? Did, you did, and I was I was just as we were talking. <clears throat> that's why I was looking over here because I was trying to find it, uh, and I'm I'm still going to continue to look for it. And in the meanwhile, I'm going to put this one up. This was pretty neat that you uh, you had shared with me. <laughs> so this is a, a younger version of me. I think I was uh, 22 or 23 years old here, and I'm sitting on top of a stone well. <laughs> well, well, well. Um, in the courtyard of the palace of the Knights Templar in mm. Rhodes, so so the 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 arches behind me that's actually part of the palace of the Grand Master of the Knights Templar in Rhodes. Wow. Wow. So already the Templars were, you know, casting their shadow over me <laughs> yep. twenty years ago. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's a, you know, and that's one of the ones I had to share that one because that's really a cool picture, and it and it sparks, you know, because we wonder sometimes, <clears throat> you know, I look back at my history of where did I get involved uh, with my uh, my passion for the Knights Templar and all of this, you know, well before, I, and I I was also somebody who had read the article in the or seen the article in the uh, Reader's Digest that Rick. And uh, and them had seen, you know, talking about Oak Island. I remember that as a kid. <clears throat> 
And, you know, the whole story is about Treasure Island and all that sort of thing. You get that fascination for that sort of thing. Um, so we always ask, you know, where did you where did you get your passion from? Where did that spark come from? And it was probably growing up and being around castles and the the mystique of castles and all that. I would imagine for you, right? Like in that. Well, um, there's there's a, a a medieval castle about thirty kilometers um, west of my hometown in, okay. in Slovakia, and it used to be owned by the Knights Templar in its really? uh, earliest years. Yes, <laughs> and there is a stone uh, well. Uh, at, at that castle, it's mm -hmm. uh, protected. It's inside of, of a building, so it's enclosed. Right. And the stone well is very deep, and it um, it actually also serves not just a source of drinking water for the inhabitants of the castle, but also right. as an entrance to an escape tunnel. Really? Ah, you see, yeah. Which temple is renowned for? Yeah. So. So yes, I, I guess um, there are no coincidences and um, I was meant to walk on this path and I have embraced it. So mm -hmm. I do have, I think I found the picture you were talking about. I did download it, but I'm going to pull it up again. Let's see here if I can get this to work for us and bring it over here. This is the picture of the uh, well that you spoke of. Um, and with the ladder, let's see if I can get this for us here. There we go. Yep, that's yeah. it. So, so that's yeah. the the well in your Ross. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you need an extra long ladder to. Yeah, I would imagine. You said it goes there. down about twenty feet now, but originally, uh, Joan Harris had said that it went down to. Uh, uh, I think probably like a, a sixty or sixty more. feet. So yeah. how much so like stuff has three, been three put... times deeper than this? Oh man, I I would be so wanting to dig that, you know, drain, like you did, drain it and I get down there and I, I yeah. Well, I... and the stones you see, <laughs> the stones you see at the top of 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 that picture, that's the that's the top. That's like mm -hmm. the the rim when the concrete cap is removed from the well. Right, this is right. what you see. And these are the smallest stones. So the stones grow in size as you go deeper down right. the well. Wow. Can you imagine that somebody has to find these stones? No. And, and then <laughs> and, and then build the well. And fit them together when they get down there. They had yeah. to line, line the well from bottom up, right? So they had to right. lower the stones one by one, probably with right. the rope, yep. and then fit them and then slowly line the well all the way to the top. Wow. That's fascinating. That really is. Well, I tell you what, and we've had several of the uh, members have said something to us about, uh, you know, we're we're at we're at about two hours now, so we're going to wrap yeah. things up. As um, you can see, it's growing dark. Yeah, it's getting dark. <laughs> it's starting to get dark here, but we're still we're about an hour different, so I know it's uh, okay. it's getting later for you. <clears throat> but this is so fascinating, and some of the members have said something about you coming back at some point. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Oh. Uh, you know, um, especially after the end of the season during the summer months or something. I don't know how busy you get out there. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that there's also things that you weren't able to talk about. Um, things that are going. Oh yeah. On, but... um, you know, we we my plan was to cover all the various theories that have been proposed to mm -hmm. explain Nuros, and right. there's maybe five of them. So <laughs> much like wow. on Oak Island. Uh, different yep. people have different ideas to explain uh, the foundation and the stone well and, and, and the stone um, at Neuros. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's an extensive topic, so we can right. cover it next time. Oh, we, would, we, would love, we would love to have oh, come back. Come back. 
right. Also, also, yeah. also, I'm under an NDA, so there's some exciting yeah. stuff that I know, but I can't talk about it. All right. I know. And, and it kills. Oh, I want to hear it so much. <laughs> and, and we, and we, I mean, we're, we're frustrated by it, but we understand it. Yeah, at the we same do. Time. Well, exactly you think, right. You think you are frustrated? Imagine me. I'm a woman, and I'm not allowed to. <laughs> go on with my life like oh, this, man, right? yeah you want to be with we would we would absolutely love to have you come oh, back yeah. on our podcast absolutely and i'm going to throw i'm going to throw a little teaser out something that uh uh alessandra and i were talking about uh just the other day uh we were having a good dis great discussion by the way and uh so we covered so much more that we were able to get out on the show here today but yeah. <clears throat> one thing i'm going to throw out as a little teaser is this this little map that she made and uh oh, oh, and so, yes. oh, and, oh gosh i totally forgot about it yeah and and this is really cool but i you know what we're gonna have to save a lot of it for the next show but we'll okay. just give a little teaser. i'll let go ahead i'll let alessandra give you a little teaser about this right here real quick so um while i was reading um books scholarly books on the uh, history of the knights templar i wanted to know about templars in different countries so not just the french templars but also british templars uh portuguese uh, templars spanish uh -huh. templars but i don't speak those languages like i don't speak spanish or, or portuguese so i i got i tried to buy the books in english that, that that i could read about templars in these different countries and there was one that i really liked it's um about the knights templar in britain uh -huh. and it had a list of templar castles in the middle east so when templars um joined the crusades and established themselves in the middle east they owned several castles and there was a list of these castles in this book about templars in britain mm -hmm. and i was going down that list and i i was looking these castles up um in wikipedia and google maps and google earth mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wanted to know right and i saw uh three names that really um struck me as odd one was uh, castle montreal the second one was toron and the third one was mm -hmm. castle destroyed and i totally apologize to uh french audience that might be watching this i don't speak french so i don't know how to pronounce these names in french maybe somebody could help me out right so so the templars had three castles in the middle east named montreal toron and destroyed and then i thought well i've seen these before but on the map of north america so then i had to pull up the map of north america and voila there's the city of montreal the city of toronto and the city of detroit and they seem to create this you know like you can connect them yeah <laughs> and yep. they are maybe not exactly uh space you know like not the exact distance from each other but but you can see the progression from montreal to toronto to detroit mm -hmm. right yep. and maybe we could even plug wayne's site to this right. map i i made this map before i met gretchen and wayne so i didn't know about the mohican reservation in wisconsin and how they have uh this um what looks like a, a templar site in wisconsin so uh, gretchen proposed uh some Gretchen proposed that Templars who came to North America set up these relay stations. And um, if these were, if these three cities maybe started off as these Templar relay stations, then maybe the names are way older than we think. So maybe uh, Montreal, Toronto, and Detroit, maybe they started off as names of Templar castles. I, I don't know. 
Right. Or at least Kem- Templar settlements or something that, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and, and again, you know, we're, we're going to save this because this is really uh, great information because, you know, in talking with, uh, uh, you know, TTNA, uh, Templar, um, you know, of North America, the group of Wayne and Gretchen and Sean Williamson and soon to be more, um, we talked about them coming down through the St. Lawrence Seaway and making their way through the Great Lakes. And like you just said, on their way over, they would have had outposts. I know it doesn't. Well, anyway, we'll, we're going to cover this some more on the we'll next one it. because, you know, when we have more information and and I know that, like you said, going on down, this could very well have been the path that they took. And yeah. And so, and and as Gretchen said, they had to work with the other, with the indigenous people here because it's either that or fight them and you're going to want to work with them and, and be friends with them as you're making your way. And that language will get passed on. Well, um, I I think that's a no brainer. Templars Mm -hmm. who plan to stay in North America would have had to secure alliances Mm -hmm. with the native people. And um, that was the smart thing to do. So if they had some kind of camps or outposts um, in what's now Montreal, Toronto, and Detroit, maybe these names um, stuck even among mm-hmm. the um, yep. native population. Because, you know, when you go to a foreign country, uh, you start picking up the language, right? Exactly, so, exactly. So... Yes, yes. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, you know, exactly like right. I, I can, uh, I know some swear words uh, from all kinds of languages. <laughs> <laughs> I can swear in Finnish, <laughs> German, Czech. Mm-hmm. I can in a few languages as well. Yeah, I, I know exactly yeah, what you and mean. I, and I haven't even been to Finland. So there you go. So, <laughs> so yes. So, so when you meet people from, from mm-hmm. other cultures uh, yep. that speak other languages, the first thing that you exchange is language. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Right. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. And I know that we, we're going to have to have you back because there's just so much more that we, you know, like I said, we talked about on the phone the other day uh, that we didn't even get to today. This has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, and it's been a, such an honor and a pleasure to have you on, uh, Alessandra. And I cannot thank you enough. And please, please, please come back uh, so we can <laughs> cover come, cover some more things. I know we're okay. at the two, uh, you know, two hour time limit. There are two hours. I'd, I'd like to try to keep these to two hours. Uh, it gets a little bit uncomfortable to sit for so long to uh, go beyond well, that. And, and I have to go and see what uh, Tim and Nicholas are doing. Yeah, um, there's probably a riot, you know, going on downstairs. <laughs> well, <laughs> we certainly don't want to hear. So, uh, <laughs> so I thank you again so much for coming and thank and, you and, for coming. Yeah, and members, thank you for being here too for this. And this will be on. It's going to be recorded. It's staying on YouTube. It's staying on Facebook. And there will be a lot of people that will comment after the fact. If you get an opportunity, and I ask this of everybody that it comes on the show, if you get an opportunity and, and you're and, and try to find some spare time to go back and kind of go through some of the some of the chat, there's over 273 now comments. And if you get an opportunity to go back and look over those and, and maybe answer some questions that we didn't get to uh, on the show today. But thank you I again will, so very much. I will do that. <clears throat> and I will probably, um, you know, watch this later to see what, what kind of crazy things I said on camera. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, because it's live. So it's out there. No matter. It's yeah. out there. Uh, you know, e- even after. <laughs> Oak Island aired. Tim and I, we we watched it like this through fi- through our fingers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. hard yourself on TV. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then uh, we thought we can't be, like we said to each other, I can't believe I said that. Why did I yeah. say it? I should have said it differently, <laughs> but it's too late. So yeah. So uh, hopefully your audience will uh, forgive me, and um, yeah, I will go. I like I will watch this. I will go through uh, the comments. I'll try to respond, and then make a note, make some notes for myself, okay. and some points that we can discuss yeah. in the future because. Uh, we barely covered neurons. I know, we really did. We scratched the I know, I know. We got tomorrow. So we will. You heard it. You heard her say it. We're going to have a part two. And we'll try to get this scheduled as, as soon as we can so we can continue on this. It has been absolutely fantastic. We can't thank you enough. And and again, I would like to just say to those of you out there uh, watching on YouTube or anyone that goes out to YouTube later, we ask that if you like the content that we've put out here today and other other videos that we have, Please uh, give us a like. Uh, it kind of gets us an idea of, of what's going on with it. Give us a like if you liked it. Uh, and I guess a thumbs down if you didn't. But, uh, you know, you can just do it with the like. I, I kind of prove those. And and subscribe if you would. And it kind of gives us a better idea of, of how we're doing and uh, and putting out material like this. And, again, Alessandra, thank you so from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for coming on. There will be a thank part two. Thank you as two. well. Thank All you, right. Jeff, Jack, Let's and... Thank Linda, you. the woman behind the throne. Yes, <laughs> I know she does. And we know we've said it before. Linda does she all the hard work. Right? <laughs> she really does. Good day to you all. And uh, we'll be back. All right. Bye -bye all right. Now. Bye. Good night. Thank you again for joining us for this recording with Alessandra Nadovari. Now, this is part one, and there will be a part two when we asked her to come back just a few months later with some more information about the Knights Templar and Oak Island. So stay tuned for that.